This episode is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Visit Eero.com slash GOT and enter at checkout promo code GOT. This podcast is also sponsored by Audible. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash GOT or text GOT to 500-500. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 8, Episode 1, titled, I think, Winterfell. It was the only title I could find for it. I think it's officially on HBO now. Uh, what do you think of the the opener for the final season? A fitting title, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's the quintessential setup episode. You, We we fair, pretty much knew everything that was happening at you just have to wait for everyone else to catch up to where the viewer is at. Mm. And so like, it was a thing about reunions and bringing everybody together. And like, if you didn't have the scenes, we like, like a lot of people were like, Oh, nothing happened and blah, blah, blah. But if you didn't have the scenes we had, people would be like, what the fuck? John and Ari is going to get together and not going to have an emotional. So like, you have to do it. And I think you want to do it. But like, if, since the show has been off for like a year and a half, I see some frustration about like, well, geez, you know, nothing happened. Uh, but I thought it was really good. Um, there's a couple things that bothered me the first time I watched it that didn't bother me as much after I thought about it. All right. I think I've maybe talked myself into thinking the showrunners are doing something different. We can fight about that later. Uh, <laughs> okay. There's a couple things like like the like like the Greyjoy stuff, pretty clunky. All of the King's Landing stuff, I, I think, was was pretty clunky. Um, and they're just to che- you know check off a couple of boxes that I don't particularly care about. But overall. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the abbreviated season is probably going to hurt the storytelling overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are some examples, uh, some pretty good ones of just, look, we got to do this stuff and it needs to happen so we can get to the bigger stuff that's going on. And what I think is, you know, the core tension of this season is going to be whether or not the the people can come together under Danny. Yeah. Uh, or, or at least it will be the core tension in Winterfell until... This shit hits the fan with the Night King. Yeah. And then we'll see. Because, like, everything they're doing here, you know, they're, they're setting up John as the, the potential true king uh, of, of Westeros. They're uh, kind of making Danny look like she could be evil with, you know, the, the Tarly stuff. Yeah. Uh, they're doing a lot of, of stuff here that says, is Danny worthy of being the queen? Right. And, and, and more importantly, is Danny worthy of having the North follow her instead right. of John? Uh, and I think that's the most interesting thing this does and probably the most important thing. And uh, the, the only thing that honestly really matters to the end of this story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're going to have your characters who are going to have their emotional reunion. Some of them will die. Some of them will live. Uh, I hope some of them live anyway. <laughs> it depends on what the Night King does. Uh, but ultimately, like the fate of Westeros and who is going to rule this and what the fate of the people is going to be in general most important to me and those are the big questions that they're setting up in this episode yeah yeah and i'm i'm all in i thought the first episode was great yes they shortcut some stuff but i really enjoyed it okay um 
do you want to just get into the episode or should we we can because there's yeah. a couple other things I, I just want to talk about like um one thing just to maybe so you can think about it what did you think about the dragon flight sequence on second viewing I had no problems. Had with no it. problems with no. it. No, okay. You, you right. got some big problems with Not it. Not big problems, just like some the set that you and I watched it. Because the other thing is, like the first time I watched, it, as I mentioned on the Instant Take podcast, is like I felt nervous. Um, that like you know, it's like the uh, as a fan of the show uh, and as someone whose job is the podcast, like my worst case nightmare is that the double D's just completely phoned, you know, ex- extravagantly phoned it in, but still phoned it in, you know. Hmm. Um, and I think that they already nailed enough of the the like character relationships and that 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 the first time i saw it i was like okay well this there's no way that you know i'm i'm this is the, my last like gut check that this isn't going to be a complete fiasco uh my next nervousness will be on the finale um but after i got over that i'm like okay so yeah a lot of this stuff flows a lot better but i got to that stuff like stuff, stuff like that dragon the the the, the Greyjoy stuff and the dragon stuff i thought is it hmm. just the dragon stuff you felt it was unnecessary or just didn't look right or what it's like i thought that john riding a dragon would be a bigger moment that it would be kind of like a rite of some sort of passage like it would go hand in hand with the knowledge he attained about he himself being hmm. a targaryen okay. but it's kind of like Danny's just like uh, it's, it's, she has this nice sports car. It's like flips the keys, like hey, try it out. And John's like, and then he comes back. It's like, oh, it's super horse. Yeah. Nah. I mean, it's not terrible. Okay, I, I get you. And then yeah. also, when you can't sh- when when we're how many seasons with no ghost sighting, yeah. and we're doing a five minute dragon sequence with uh, souped up waterfall. Like that's the other thing is I watched You've really the special- spoiled me for direwolves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, right, right. It's like I, I used to think having a pet wolf was kind of cool. Uh-huh. Now I got a dragon named after my father. I don't know about yet. Woo, <laughs> right. you know that's that's the that's the thing. And then also, yeah, I watched the visual effects kind of like diary that they had afterwards, and they're like, oh, we went and spent a ton of money flying to this exotic location. Uh, mm-hmm. In this frozen wasteland, it has a waterfall, and then the double D's wanted us to add like three more waterfalls to it. I'm like, <laughs> can't fucking put ghosts in here. That's no. it. That's all. That's not a serious gripe about the, the but it's, it's oh yeah it's, it's an a, honest one. It's, it's not cataclysmic, one. certainly. Okay, uh, okay. Let's get into the episode proper. Let's do it. So before we get into the episode proper, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the intro, the new intro. Yeah, there's a lot of shit in there that uh, some of it I'm kind of surprised is in there. Yeah. Um, do you want to go beat by beat? Yeah, uh, through sure. this thing. So we start off with you know the astrolabe and the the rings that we're all used to, but they're different now very mm-hmm. different they're wooden uh mm-hmm. not the gold that we saw in previous seasons uh the, we get an image of a dragon blasting down a wall i think it's a wall it could be a castle of some kind but the image is very reminiscent of what we saw last season uh yeah. when the wall came down yeah so i think and that's what they're depicting I, I saw a pretty cleaned up version of it and the figure that's riding atop the dragon is like the skeletal kind of gaunt it looks like uh, the night king okay. so I, yeah I, I think it's it's definitely suggesting of, of the night king destroying the wall Right. Uh, and then we, in that same, uh, well, right after that, they kind of go through the hole that's now in the wall, uh-huh. and we see sort of the, the Night King's advance. We right. see the tiles flipping over and becoming sort of winter tiles instead mm-hmm. of uh, just, you know, the regular wooden tiles they were before. Right. Uh, leading all the way to Last Hearth, which is sitting on, interestingly, a spiral-type mountain, mm-hmm. which I thought was fitting given what we saw happen there this episode. Uh, so, so you can see that the intro is going to have a little bit of maybe foreshadowing in it, yeah. uh, some stuff to really analyze, which brings me to the next part, which is Winterfell. Uh-huh. Um, 
and we we see the werewood in the godswood we see uh the great hall and we see the crypts uh-huh. and we kind of fly through all of those and i don't think there's anything like super interesting in there unless i missed something well there was a lot of emphasis on a tree and there always is the godswoods oh, yeah, of winterfell of and you know it's just a note that the last time we saw kind of like um the Night King attack a fortification with uh, protected by Weirwood. There was like some kind of magical barrier around it. Mm-hmm. And I've read some speculation where people wonder whether you're going to find out that Winterfell has some sort of like, you know, that that Godswood has some kind of similar protection to it. I mean, I think it's more of like the power of the Three-Eyed Crow, uh, Three-Eyed Raven, and all of the other Green Seers in that one ancient sacred cave. But I, that's, mm-hmm. that's a possibility. And I also, I, I saw an interview on The Ringer, um, uh, ben B sent me this link, um, which I'll put in the show notes, where they interviewed the people and they said that this was kind of the map that they wanted to do in season one. We had like they, they always want to have the tiles like flipping over to show <laughs> advancing armies and like territories controlling and castles, but they just never had the time and budget. Uh-huh. So like when they were ordered to redo this, it's like fuck yeah, all the tricks that we wanted yeah. to do. And also they're like, you know, you had so many, they always wanted to make the the castles more clockwork and intricate, but because they had to go to so many different locations to integrate people in the plot, you never had time. Now that everything's kind of just shrinking down, they had the time to like go through the crypts of Winterfell and go through the the dungeons okay. of King's Landing. I don't think they should should sell themselves too short though, because no. the the old intro was pretty rad too. It, it won a few awards. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's probably I, I can't think of a two minute long intro that's not been fast forwarded through more than in, than, than this one. So. Right. Uh, and you don't want to fast forward through this next part because right. we get back to that ring uh, on the astrolabe and we see an image of the Night King on the right holding up a wolf's head, uh, lions on the left, and in the center we see what looks like a wolf's body uh, in like a stark type cape riddled with arrows and swords and hanging. Uh, I would suggest that the what you're calling the Night King is actually a flayed man, which is the, the sigil for House Bolton. I think, think so. Yeah. So you've got you've got the Lannisters, hmm. the Boltons, and then the Freys representing the twin towers and the the, the bridge. Um, I think you're, that's just a suggest. I mean, it's, it's it's a red wedding metaphor, is what I think it is. Really, yeah. seems a little late to be doing a red wedding thing. But I, honestly, okay. I okay. <laughs> let's keep going. Let's stick with the astrolabe because I, as cool as I think this is, I am. It's a little head scratchy for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. I was under the impression that, that was the Night King, but. I thought it was more of a metaphor than like a literal like oh John's going to be beheaded but John's not even Stark anymore so right you know, well, Bran's I mean, going to be beheaded Sansa's going to be beheaded he's not not a Stark his mama's a Stark yeah that's true he's a half Stark um but the 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 last one is the it's it's got the big dragon with the three small dragons and that and the the bleeding red star which is clearly like representation of season one going into season two Danny's dragons being born mm-hmm. so. The old astrolabe showed the fall of a house, uh, well, the rise and fall of House Targaryen in historical order. Okay. This seems to be showing historical events from the show's own canon, but in like reverse historical order. Yeah, that's weird. And I don't, do you have any clue of why they would do it that way? No, but I bet any weird time fuckery is going to be tied to Bran. See, I was wondering <laughs> if this this is, I mean, this is very tinfoily, but like, is it possible that they are trying to suggest that there is going to be some kind of Doctor Who timey-wimey bullshit afoot? I don't know. And it's, I'm saying bullshit because that's the thing, it's like, 
you know, I, you know, there's there's crazy theories out there about like maybe Bran is actually the Night King went back in time and blah blah, mm-hmm. and like that sounds stupid, but you you can make anything cool. Like the the, yeah. the basic plot of Terminator sounds really stupid. You got to encase a robot in meat so you can send it back in time to kill the human resist. It's like mm-hmm. what what? But it's a cool movie, and I think they could make about anything cool. It's just I I, mm, I don't know. But again, we're speculating on time travel based on the fact that they 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 played these events backwards in the the thing so right who knows uh and then also king's landing is shown we get a a couple of views we get the red keep with the the full map courtyard which i thought was awesome yeah Um, callback to last season also did you notice that there's i don't know if this is uh foreshadowing or what but in the the basement of king's landing there is one of those ballistas cocked and loaded and pointed right towards a dragon skull presumably drogon being the biggest yeah yeah so i thought that was um i mean that stuff is things that i would all believe to be in the dungeon like you know Mm -hmm. we know that there's the old targaryen skulls down there and there's probably you know, even though Kyburn just invented them last season, maybe they got some some old old relic ballistas down there. But I I, I thought it was the way it's lined up, like you're looking down the gun barrel, uh, was yeah. was was suggestive. And then of course there's the throne room with the Lannister house sigil above the throne, which is the current state yeah. of that throne room. Who knows if it'll remain that? It seems likely that. Uh, that that either the ban- there's going to be banners rising and falling towards mm-hmm. the end of the season as a finale or potentially the throne transform is what I'm hoping for. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In what way? Like I said, I, I, I see a future Turn that's... to ice? <laughs> no, like, because uh, the Iron, Thor- Th- Iron Throne was a symbol of Aegon's conquest and power, so, like, I feel like even if Danny's going to keep a strict monarch- monarchy or John, that you would want some other symbol that would that would presumably transform... Uh, 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 that would that would show the transformation of Westeros and the peoples in it, and you know how everyone came together. I don't know. Uh, like sitting on a bunch of melted swords is is a little bit too bellicose of an ending, I think, for the dream of spring. Sure. I'm with you. Before we talk more about the episode, I want to tell everybody about an opportunity to lock in savings here at Bald Move. We're having a membership sale at our club, club.baldmove.com. Currently, all of our yearly memberships are. Uh, sale for 25% off. And this is the first time we've actually included our existing club members. It used to be new members only because we didn't have the technology to give the discount to uh, existing memberships. But now, whether you're an existing club member or you are a person who has never been a club member, you can sign up for a year and save 25% off. And club members can also extend that for up to five years. Yeah. So if you want to lock in 25% off savings, uh, you can pay for as many years as you want. Again, up to five. Uh, if you don't know what our club is, our club is a way to get ad-free feeds. It's a way to get special features such as our instant talk version of our podcast, which every Sunday after Game of Thrones, we do our little traditional 15 to 20 minute instant take. But then for club members, we have the instant talk where you can tune in live uh, to our show and uh, get your questions asked and heard um, uh, by going to baldmove.com. So once again, just go to club.baldmove.com. Uh, you can select uh, either a new membership or an existing. Uh, these are 25% off our annual memberships, and you can lock in that savings by checking out with the code GOT2019 uh, to enjoy all of your club benefits uh, starting as soon as you sign up, club.baldmove.com. Now we got the excitement of the club sale out of the way. I want to talk about what's going on here at baldmove.com because another thing that we're doing that's fun for Game of Thrones is another one of our super serious film festivals where we have a themed collection of movie reviews. This 
year, it's going to be on the subject of fantasy. And we have uh, curated a list of crowd pleasers, or we hope to be crowd pleasers, old swords and sandals and fantasy films. The first one we're going to drop reviews on uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, it's going to be Conan the Barbarian. Uh, We had a lot of fun watching it. Club members get uh, to see our live watch where we actually watch it live and we make jokes and uh, talk about our personal experience with the film. And then everyone can enjoy our full featured review. We love Arnold. We love fantasy. Uh, well, at least half of us unabashedly <laughs> love fantasy. Jim, I love that kind of fantasy. Jim does any any he, he has a deep and abiding love for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah. Uh, so if you are are feeling what we're laying down, check out tomorrow uh, Super Serious Film Fest. Conan. I almost I keep wanting to say Conan O'Brien. No, just Conan. I would love Conan. to see a Conan the Barbarian remake with Conan O'Brien. Oh God. It's a very. He'd have to put on some serious muscle. It's a very, His well, whole frame would have it's to just change. Weird Al Yankovic UHF. In fact, fuck that. Just go yeah, watch Weird Al Yankovic fair. UHF. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's happening this week. Uh, also, uh, don't forget, I wrote two books about Game of Thrones and uh, analyzing its religions and cultures. I was uh, my co-writer was a expert on comparative religion. It's entertaining. It's informative. I think it's funny. You can get it at godsofthrones.com. You can order it in paperback or ebook format off Amazon, as well as get some cool uh, godsofthrones.com merch. Uh, we also have a exclusive enamel pin of our house. We did. We did have an exclusive enamel pin, but we sold them all. We sold. We sold uh, through the whole run. Yeah, we sold them all in that first podcast. Uh, we didn't buy enough, apparently. So what's happening now is if you go to pin-y.com, uh, you can get pre-orders for the next round, which is already on order. Uh-huh. Uh, that should hit sometime around the end of the season, we're thinking. So, yeah, if, that's going to be like double the size of the first run, which uh-huh. still will probably sell through. So if you want those, go to pin-y.com right now and get those. Uh, it's just a house snow. If you're familiar with that shirt that we did, which we still have for sale on merch.baldmove.com, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's that design on an enamel pin. It looks really nice. Get My pin, girlfriend made it. Get the pin and the and, and the t-shirt, and you're snow on snow on snow. There you go. Uh, strong support for the King of the North. And then finally, uh, Cess and I will be playing some kind of Super Mario game on twitch.tv slash baldmove. Uh, it's just our weekly struggle session. Uh, stop on by, say hi, uh, enjoy some beers, some wine, some camaraderie at twitch.tv slash baldmove. All right, now let's get into the episode proper. Okay. Uh, we get a boy climbing a tree outside Winterfell to watch the arrival of John and Danny and their army. Uh, Danny gets a bit of a cold reception, but feels pretty good about herself when her dragons fly over and scare the crap out of the townspeople. Uh, afterward, Danny's introduced to Sansa. Bran tells them they have no time to waste because the Night King has the dragon and he's breached the wall. A lot of stuff happens here. And this is, you know, clearly with this kid running through and climbing yeah. the tree, a callback to season one. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of them in this episode. Uh, Indeed. This being the first, because it's the first scene. <laughs> I mean, this is just, yeah, like it's, it starts with the kids, but it's like, you know, a king and a queen coming to Winterfell with their retinue, just like, you know, Robert and Cersei. Um, there's the obvious uh, similarity of, of Arya pretending to be a soldier, dressed up mm-hmm. like a pretend soldier. And, and skulking around out. And, and now she actually yeah. is a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all pretty cool. I also thought that like when Tyrion, when they keep on talking about how they've come back with the world's largest army and two full-grown dragons. But the first, you know, knowing that, that John is a Targaryen, that also applies to John and Danny too. Uh-huh. So, like, you know, it's not just a mother of dragons. He's all, you, you also have the the weird uh, ne- incestual nephew of dragons. All right. Um, yeah. 
But I, I thought that's got to be intentional wordplay. That the, mm-hmm. you, 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 everyone says that we got two mature, full-grown dragons who probably have tried to have sex with each other. Uh, <laughs> but I, I like that, and I also like to see the different emotions that wash over Arya's face, like mm-hmm. her obvious happiness of seeing John and the kind of really frowny face she's got for for Sandor, and then Gendry gets like a shy kind of smile. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunate that the first words of this season were an- yet another dumb eunuch joke from Tyrion. Yeah, yeah. I, I Look, I have not been a fan of those jokes for a very long time, since I think season five. Yeah. Once they, like, got to Essos. Yeah. And and kept the ribbing up, I was like, hey, come on, man. Well, it's not, it's not, I'm not, this isn't like uh, two friends can't joke about each other's shortcomings. It's sure. more of like, this show's associated cheap eunuch jokes with lesser men, mm-hmm. like Littlefinger. And like Sansa, I used to think Tyrion one of the cleverest <laughs> men alive, and damn, yeah. like, like, even the show's like, come on, come mm. on. Yeah, I can't tell if they're intentionally, like, saying, okay, we went, we went maybe a little overboard with this stuff. The, in the other season but then uh, there are it other ways be, to point that out without actually doing it again it could be i want a, a kind of i wanted those elephants like a, a, yeah, right. a nod yeah, to yeah. the fan but we'll see if there's more more ballless jokes to come god then... i hope not uh my prediction is that's that's this is the last episode with jokes in it okay because <laughs> shit's gonna get real here very soon of course it won't be but um i uh, love th- there's so oh. i want to talk a little bit more about aria because mm-hmm. This has got to be surreal for her, right? When you think of this world and how big it is and how often people die or yeah. just never return to the places they were, yeah. having kind of all of Arya's friends and family come home at the same time yeah. is just like this really strange thing. Or at yeah. least it would be for me if I were standing there going down the line saying, oh, there's my brother. I'm and, looking forward to this. Oh, there's Sandor. I thought he was dead. Oh shit! Right. There's Gendry. I ne- never thought I'd see him again. Right. Um, but plus, this goes. This this is this is on the back of uh, her her dad trying to smuggle her out with the Night's Watch and get her back to home. Her almost getting to River Run just in time for the Red Wedding. Her uh-huh. going to the gates of her aunts and find these close misses yeah. and finding out she's dead and the hysterical laughter. It's like every single time she has thought that she has been here before, it's been like Charlie Brown and the football <laughs> yanked away from her. Right. So like that at like that that all these years of history build up to make these uh, and, and they didn't have to like I mean they didn't really have to gild the li- lily on these scenes. Like mm-hmm. they just let uh, the director even mentioned uh, David Nutter that like they just let uh, uh, Kit and Maisie kind of react, and and yeah. that's all you needed. Uh, not much yeah, way of direction and dialogue. Just these two people who had not yeah. worked with each other for like six, seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, put them on screen and film them. And I appreciated the fanfare here too. I mm-hmm. thought it was an appropriate amount. You know, this is a big event. Uh, all the forces are arraying here in Winterfell, um, and and we as an audience want to feel that. You know, we're back for the first time in a year and a half. Yeah, the show's been off the air for a long time. It's the final season. Yeah, and I felt it. You know, I, I was engrossed by this scene. I also was scoring a little bit more closely on subsequent watches about, you know, who, you know, who is more incivil to whom in these mm. things, because like it's, a, a, you know, there's 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 yeah. hostility on all sides and John's trying to be the peacemaker. But I will note that Danny tried to come at Sansa civil like, hey, the North is as beautiful as and, and as are you like very complimentary. And Sansa started the frost off, I think. This is after 
Danny smirked as her dragon scared so the shit out of the Winterfellians. That's that's <laughs> yes. I don't think that's a good look for Danny, but I also don't think Sansa uh, saw it. And Sansa seemed kind of like that's the thing is like. Uh, see, I think not so secretly, Sansa's happy to dragons are here because that was her reaction. She sees it in her smile, like, "Oh yeah, like, yeah." You'd rather have it's like stealth bombers showing up. I'd rather mm-hmm. have them than not. So, um, but I, I feel like Sansa's playing politics because she's right, um, or John's right. She is angling to make sure her family is safe after all this is said and done. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of crazy to me, but the shit is really important to these people, and it's really important for Sansa to never. F- put herself under some other person's power that she doesn't 100% trust ever, ever again. Yeah, I think everybody's angle here yeah. is really good. You know, I mean, whether or not Danny's going to be another mad king mm-hmm. is, is a question that's still up in the air. And so for us, even as an audience, to be asking the same questions as Sansa is, yeah. as, you know, Sam is, yeah. that's important. And I enjoy it. So then, uh, as you say, Bran kind of focuses everybody up and says, "We, you know, because they start, um, you know, th- th- there's this kind of smug off, and and Bran kind of comes up there. So we don't have time for any of this. Uh, the Night King has your dragon. The walls fall, and the dead mar- march south. And I think this is interesting in light of Bran then later choosing to set off a succession war <laughs> between John and Danny, like." I, I the, like we don't have time for this, but why would he say to Sam that John needs to know right now? Like, yeah, he it must be important that. to the end game. Somehow. Yeah, and how how could that be? Because I so a lot of people have speculated about whether or not Bran can see the future, mm-hmm. and I think at the very least he can see the near future because he's waiting for Jamie, where yeah. he knows Jamie will be showing up. Right, uh, which is another odd thing. If we don't have time for anything, we have we have this omniscient being who sits in the courtyard waiting for Jamie. There's, I mean, there's a couple yeah. loose connections on the circuit board here is all I'm saying. Sure. I, I think Bran can only do so much. You mm-hmm. know, his, his power is more about seeing, not doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he can kind of see what's going to happen. And yeah. in a lot of instances, like, he's just got to wait for Jamie to get there. I, I will say this, that maybe I I think everyone's skeptical kind of now of Bran. But I really hope that Bran has a way to, like, demonstrate his up, utmost reliability to people like Tyrion. Because... Yeah. Otherwise, if, if Tyrion never like has a long conversation with Bran, it's going to feel very weird because I feel like that's like Tyrion craves information. He's an analytical thinker. Uh, Bran has nothing but information. He's like uh, you know a Google search. Mm-hmm. Those two people should get together and, and and strategize and plan. And it would be odd if they don't. So I'm 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 counting down this the the episodes until they have a power because if they don't. Unless unless Tyrion's dead or I guess Bran dies, <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, what I really don't want to see from Bran is him going around proving his powers to everyone. Yeah, like one at a time. Yeah, I don't need the sit down where you know Tyrion says, "Oh, how do I know that what you're saying is true?" And yeah. he proves that, and then he could go to Danny. How do I know what you're saying is true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to do that because they don't have time and they know it. Uh, the other question I have before um, is. I felt like the moment, and I, I felt like this last season too, when Danny's reaction to the death of her one of her children was fairly muted. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no reaction at all to to Bran dropping the 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 knowledge that not only is the dragon dead, it's been turned into a zombie dragon. Like that moment did not get did did did, did not allow. Like I I I don't know what I was expecting, but I, I I guess I felt like that that moment should have breathed a little bit more. Yeah, I I mean I think it's. I think this moment is weird um, for Danny because mm-hmm. 
there's this kid who she doesn't know at all telling her a thing about her dragon uh that she may or may not believe like what is what why is she going to believe what Bran says a but it, it's she's he's yeah. telling her a terrible thing right that she's both horrified at the sound of but also unsure whether or not to believe i think in that moment right but i feel like that should be spoken like who I thought is it was per- on her face, but, who, who is but it was person? a very short why, why? What is he? How do you know this? You know, but but like, yeah. like or jo- you know, everyone acted like this was just kind of like neutral information or old news or something like that. And I thought it was a weird choice. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It, it's it doesn't quite play. I think how I would want it to, but yeah, especially then because it, it's it, close. It, like there's, it seems like there's a lot of statements here that like focus everyone's resolve towards the actual task at hand. Yeah. And then the next scene immediately bleeds that tension off. Cause we go from here, this yeah, kind of apocalyptic scenario out led by brand right into bitching about how we're going to feed this world's largest army. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, Sansa sends Lord Umber back to last hearth with a bunch of wagons to fetch his people. Lady Mormont questions, John's decision to relinquish his kingship to Danny. Uh, and John's defense is that he brought a powerful ally to protect the North. And then Sansa worries about how they're going to feed the new troops. And Danny, very smug in this scene. Like, I get that, you know, she's being essentially shit on here. Like, yep. saying, look, we don't want you as our queen. Yep. In in no in no such terms. But uh, very obviously, that's the feeling. But, man, she comes across as really fucking smug with that final line. Yeah. And I... This is... This is the, but this is good to me because I think what they're really trying to do here is put that question to the test. Does she deserve to be the queen? Is she going to go the Mad King route? Uh, and how how do people feel about her being the queen? And what's going to change their mind? Right. Because right now there's not a lot to change their mind. Yeah. Uh, other than the danger that's that's approaching, and these people haven't really seen it yet. You know, John certainly has seen it, but he's kind of the only one, other than Danny. I thought it was interesting because in the off season I read uh, George Martin's um, Targaryen biography uh, or history book, Fire and Blood, and yeah. it seemed like it was a recurring theme that the Targaryens had difficulties with the northern lords and ladies, that they tend to be mm-hmm. pig-headed and uh, stubborn, as goats. stubborn as goats, exactly, and it seems like the Targaryens that were willing to put up with that and swallow the shit, and, and, and even though it made them angry and drove them crazy... You know, would eventually earn the Northerners respects, the ones that kind of like all fire and blood or some of the worst Targaryens. So I think it mm-hmm. there. This is obviously a kind of a litmus test, like yeah. just as it was important for John to be able to stitch the wildlings and the North together. It's going to be that important for Danny to through some kind of action, mm-hmm. uh, probably some kind of heroic sacrifice or show of leadership or something, weld all of these disparate armies together. And, and so that they they're going to be jointly following following her. Um, it's going to be tricky with with John's claim to the throne to navigate as well. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that when we get to that scene. But I, I thought everyone I'm defended themselves pretty well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, John's John's statements make a lot of sense here. Yeah, and it's what he's been saying all along. You know, he's never changed his tune. Right. Uh, so then we go over to Gendry unloading the dragon glass. Uh, Tyrion reuniting with Sansa, and he's showing his respect for her. However. Sansa's respect is uh, a little diminished for him by his belief that Cersei is going to honor her word. Uh, she used to think him one of the most clever men she's ever met. We Not talked anymore. a little bit about this in the different preview podcasts, but what's your thought on the idea that Cersei and Tyrion have some 
kind of secret understanding. It's not necessarily an outright betrayal of Danny, but like we didn't get to hear the full. I mean, I think it's obvious we didn't get to hear the full story because they yeah they cut away cut, cut away <laughs> mid conversation. Right? But do you think that there's there is a possibility because he he does look kind of guilty and hung hangdog, but there's a lot of reasons for him to have that demeanor talking to this particular woman. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's a lot of reasons for him to to have that look not talking to this woman you add sansa into the mix and yeah it's there are tons of reasons but i mean he could just be feeling like oh shit yeah you're right maybe i shouldn't be so quick to trust my sister i mean honestly as he was saying it like look i think the deal is cersei's got a reason to live and a reason that she wants to survive and sansa's like well then she's going to pull all of her armies around like a ring around her and fuck everyone else yeah like i that's the thing that you know, Tyr- Tyrion's. It's been a long time since we've seen season two, season three Tyrion. Oh yeah, uh, I think we need to see a return to that kind of Tyrion. I don't know that we're going is, to. Man, I hope so. Uh, I hope he has a. a I hope he's I, got a good moment of leadership or intellect or cunning or something. Because if not, why? Why is he alive? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only opportunity he's really got from here to probably the end of the series is. King's Landing, like when they uh, go to to battle Cersei once and for all, which I hope is going to happen. He's got to have, yeah. Some he, ins- might, he needs to have something up his sleeve. Otherwise, yeah, Tyrion's kind of just a just a flat nothing at the end. Yeah, it, that would be the sweetest if like all these things came together with a way for him to outmaneuver politically and militarily his sister, and he's the yeah. only one with that unique insight. Or even and, and Jamie and Tyrion together. That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, maybe now there's an opportunity with Jamie coming up. Right. Right, she's ticklish behind her left knee, but, uh, but he's but he's going to have to look like a fool before that because Jamie's going to come up and say, "No, Tyrion, you idiot." Yeah, she's actually planning behind your back to yeah. totally screw you over. Yeah, just as like just as our sister, who you know as well as I do, almost. Yeah, not physically, maybe, but you know, right? You know, yeah, you yeah. should know this man. I, yeah, Tyrion. Uh, what are you doing? Two other things I want to point out. Number one, this may be the line of the night when uh, Tyrion said the, the purple wedding was a miserable affair and Sansa said it had its moments. And yeah, s- but but then she also realizes, oh, shit, yeah, no. One of those moments was me bouncing sure. and leaving I, you in the I lurch. I think she's apologetic because like she said, hey, we both survived. And also... Well, that, that's excuse is such bullshit. I, I think like, Sansa would trade place with Tyrion in a fucking heartbeat. Oh, probably. Um, but but let me let, let's talk about that uh-huh. idea of oh we both survived. Uh-huh. That's such a cop out bullshit you, what, argument. You think Sansa owed it to Tyrion? No, to no, like... no, no, no. What I'm saying is like the okay. result uh-huh. does not alleviate any responsibility for decisions you made in the moment. That's true. That, that could have led to the death of someone. Oh well, it turned out fine. I'm like oh I threw you off this bridge into a. If, if I'm Sansa, I take any offer to get the fuck out of there, no matter who. I agree a hundred percent. But if, 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 if the people that la- get hurt, but last so many name Lannister, people, fuck it. So many people use this excuse, like oh you're you're still alive, right? Yeah. No, no problem. Then we're all good. No, right. you fucker, you made a bad choice. And yeah, it but hurt like me. I feel like that's like bullshit when a parent says it to a kid about endangering them because there's a fiduciary responsibility to like take care of that person and protect them and like be like hey my shitty parenting made you strong that's but like sansa she's like 15 and yeah fuck that i i'm i I, she made the choice she had to make but it affected Tyrion. yes certainly that's uh that that is certainly a true point um the other thing i want to say is did you notice the crows in the background hmm and then there's the smash cut to creepy Bran staring. I think you're supposed to understand that like Bran's going to know okay. literally everything. 
Gotcha. Because that was a motif in the first seasons, like the crows kind of conspicuously here and there around Bran. Now they're like, you know, uh, it's Game of Thrones, they're everywhere. And that's just a reminder of like uh, uh, Bran's, Bran's new power. And I'm sure that will come in, that, that's going to blow something wide open uh, before the season's over. Uh, that might imply that he can't actually see the future, and what he saw was through a crow's eye. He kind of saw everything happening at King's Landing yeah. as it was happening, and he knew yeah. Jamie was on the way. Same thing about the Knights King. Like, did he? Pre- I don't think he predicted that he was massing there. I think that's something he actually saw. Yeah, like, that's yeah. That th- that future foretelling is, I think, a little bit still um, speculative, and also yeah. like you know, is the future set in stone? Is it uh, no fate but what we make? Like Sarah Connor would say. Or mm-hmm. good question. All right, we go to John reflecting at the Weirwood when Arya shows up for a joyous big brother little sister reunion, and they admire each other's swords. And then Arya reminds John that they're all a family, and that's important, and he shouldn't forget it when it comes to Sansa. I think that's. I think this is the showrunners setting up the challenge to John's character that um, he is. He has, I think, well-founded faith in Danny, even though she mm-hmm. does go crazy from time to time. Um, I think that the real challenge is going to be keeping true to that faith without losing the support of his family mm-hmm. because he needs that too. Oh yeah. So that's the thing. Like, you know, um, I'm family. Don't forget that. That's going to be your challenge, John. And not only did not forget it because he's about to literally transform from Stark or snow Stark mm-hmm. to, to a Targaryen. So I think this is going to be even more meaningful uh, now that he did, he realizes that he's not even, you know, like the fact that right. they're not even brothers and sisters at this point, they're cousins or whatnot. No, but it ties, it definitely ties back into like the Theon thing, right? Yes. Where Theon saves Yara and then he says, or, or well, he doesn't say it, but you can tell on his face he wants to go back and yeah. fight with the Starks. Well, that ties back into John kind of forgiving him from last season. Exactly. Like, you know, you can you can be whoever you want to be. Like we talked last season. But this- he grew up as sort yes. of a Stark yes. just the way John did. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I that's kind of what I took away from it at the end. It's like very much remember when you become Aegon Targaryen. <laughs> but all this all this dialogue is going to, is going to set up this... Um, is going to set up this kind of fulcrum for the... It, yeah. it, it's going to be a battle between his loyalties and his family and... And, and and all that now and his friends. The, like I think the, Sam, the challenge I... for the showrunners for for me is to uh, I, like if if I don't I actually don't think they're going to go down to where John breaks faith with Danny. It's going to be more like how can he keep faith without looking like just a complete idiot or lapdog. But mm-hmm. like they do go down the road of John having a serious like oh no maybe I'm king I should be king. Like John's had bigger tests of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like he's chosen yeah. his duty. And his and his and his, uh, his his duty and his people over his love, over his his position in the Night's Watch, over uh, his own honor. Like mm-hmm. he's made way more sacrifices, and like you know, uh, he's he, he, it's not even the first time he's been in love and made that sacrifice. So the challenge is if for them to fee- the, the answer is like why is it different this time? I guess. Yes. Um, but I'm hoping I'm actually hoping that the conflict is going to be an inner one between John's loyalty to his family and Danny and not like his personal ambition and Danny. Yeah, I don't think so. John doesn't strike me as that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious how these ingredients are going to mix him, yeah. and, him and Danny, though, because I mean, the Iron Throne is like the one ring and it literally drove people <laughs> psychically crazy. Then right. Sure. But they don't have that mechanism. So. All right. Speaking of crazy, we go to Kyburn, <laughs> who tells Cersei that the dead have broken through the wall. To which Cersei responds, good. She's looking forward to this. And then uh, we we see the the forces of Euron, uh, the ships, the Iron Fleet. 
Is that what they call it? Yep. Uh, and we go out to want to Euron's flagship, and we find Yara still alive. And Euron tells her he's going to go fuck the queen. And he appreciates the, the conversation she has not been supplying him with because he's got a crew full of mutes. Did we know that as show watchers? I don't think so. Okay, I thought that was a book-only thing so far. Yeah. Uh, um, but I do these spoiler casts, so I don't know anymore. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the lore behind that is that Euron uh, rips the tongues out of everyone that serves him on his crew for, I, I don't know, Book Euron is like this horrifying pirate warlock guy that's dabbling in black magic and all this other shit. Mm. This version is such a bizarre decoloring of that character um i'm not even a big i'm not a big Greyjoy fan obviously i haven't i haven't hit that bias but like if you are a Greyjoy fan it must be really annoying to have this version of euron come to the screen like as as someone who's such an afterthought as someone who doesn't read the books i i kind of like this version of euron he's like the physical embodiment of arrogance and Hmm. i it's it's not a subtle character, right. but it is one that mixes interestingly with other ingredients in the show. Yeah, he he's like a, like in the show, he's just an experienced junkie. Like you know, right, he's, right. He's wanting yeah. to fight and he's wanting to. I fuck mean, he's and... going to do the craziest shit until he dies, right? And then, you know, that's his plan, right? And and I guess I'm okay with that. Now they haven't used him super effectively. I don't mm. think. Uh, th- th- there haven't been those interesting interactions other than like with Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even that was cut short. So I don't know. I I don't mind Yaron. Uh, so we anything on Yara being alive? Yara no. Yara's alive. Yara's alive, and I I my only question <laughs> we is I wonder was. if we'll ever see her again uh, after the scene that we see her again next time. I don't know. This felt <laughs> this yeah the the scene where they part um definitely feels like a final uh meeting of of Theon and Yara mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. me anyway. Uh, so we may not see her again. Anyway, uh, Cersei takes an audience with Euron and the leader of the Golden Company, Captain Harry Strickland, apparently, which is maybe the worst possible name to throw into this show at this point. Yeah. Uh, worse than Dickon? Uh, what, maybe? Strickland I mean, it's, is just it's, so fucking... It sounds like he's out of a detective novel. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. a terrible name for this universe. It's very. It's, it's like having somebody named Tom Smith in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. It makes no sense Darth to me. Darth Smith. But... Captain Harry Strickland of the Golden <laughs> Company. What? Are you sure he's not in an accounting firm on right. Community? Yeah, like... if he was with the Iron Bank, maybe. Right, right. Um, but uh, I, it's interesting because he shares the name of the commander in the... Uh, uh, in the books, because there is an actual commander of the Golden Company, yeah. uh, but he is nothing like his book depiction. The, no, What's yeah, he like the old, the book? he's, the old, yeah, he's uh, like old and and portly and and balding, and this guy is very huh. like uh, he looks like Jamie Lannister's season one stunt double. Okay, right, yeah, like you could totally like Harrison Ford. You know when he poses with his stunt double, and it's like, oh, it's Harrison Ford until you get to the face. Like, oh, uh-huh. that's not Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what he. That's what guy the guy looks like. I agree. And he doesn't have elephants. He doesn't, which is super disappointing both to Cersei and I think us as an audience. We have 17 waterfalls in the north, but no elephants, no direwolves. Uh, <laughs> as a show-only watcher, uh-huh. what, what sense does this scene make with the elephants? 
Um, I, I, no, I think this is literally just a wink to book, book readers and, okay. uh, like the show and maybe the show watchers know that. So it's kind of like, Oh, I'm missing out on the books or I, I don't know. I mean, I know that because we do this podcast, but I wouldn't know that if we didn't. And I, I think it would be weird to be like elephant. Why is she so concerned about elephants? Yeah. But I yeah, don't know. I don't know. I, do you think it's that, still fine to do fan service every once in a while? Yeah, it is. It is. It is odd, though. There's been a couple. I think they, they've done that before, but I felt like it's not been as fourth wall breaking. Right. You know, where they'll they'll mention something that's just like a detail that's just in passing that like a book reader would be like, oh, oh, oh Russell, my jimmies. But for show, mm-hmm. it just it's just it's the difference between naming name checking a location that a book reader be familiar with whereas that's just world building to a show watcher i don't know what's yeah, the yeah. significance of like oh i'm going to hard home well, i don't know where hard, well, wait till i get there book readers like oh i know it's hard know hard home right um it's weird because this is like making a real 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 dr- drawing a big circle and putting a big flashing light on it like yeah. if you're like you said if you're a show watcher you feel left out right uh-huh yeah so yeah, because we knew nothing of these elephants. Not the greatest wink to the to the show to the to the to, to the uh, book readers. Uh, so Euron basically invites himself into Cersei's bed, which actually manages to just barely he he barely arrogates his way in, uh, which I guess is the key to Cersei's heart. Just be as arrogant as humanly possible. It's a little baggy and whiny. Um, <laughs> which makes me think Cersei has a bigger sure. plan in mind, which right. we'll talk about here in a couple scenes. Right. Uh, before that, we got to go to Bronn, who's in the middle of a four-way, when Kyburn interrupts to say there's a wagon outside with four chests of gold and his name on it if he's willing to take Joffrey's crossbow and go kill Cersei's brothers. Uh, Bronn doesn't say no, and Kyburn leaves him with the weapon. This is actually a, I, I I love this scene because it's such great brawn. Oh yeah, classic brawn. And I don't think we've ever seen brawn completely bereft of like a Tyrion or a Jamie. So he's just uh, he's just playing with this weird old straight man wizard. Yeah. And the the whole uh, you know the, the Kyburn's oh poor girl the pox will take her within a year and he's like which <laughs> which girl? Uh, so funny. And then when she he pulls out the crossbow jo- Joffrey's crossbow and he's like oh that fucking family. <laughs> It's just, it's so great. It is. It's so great. It's all seven seasons of 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 him dealing with every one of these fucking people uh, and getting fucked over by them and uh, having to protect them and bail their asses out. And it's mm-hmm. it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But also, kind of seems silly for Cersei to give him a wagon full of gold, giving giving us, us paying it paying in advance uh, is is not the world's greatest. Uh, for for a service of a sellsword, especially one like Brom, not not the greatest use of one's money, wouldn't seem. Yeah, and one who's losing faith. I mean, he exactly. he essentially sells Kyber, and he's on the wrong side at this point. Yeah. Uh, and yet he's being hired to go kill. I, there's no way. There's no way that Bronn takes his crossbow and goes and even tries to murder both of them. No, nah. he he goes up there probably and he meets with them, but it's not to kill them. Right. Wouldn't uh, think. Wouldn't think so either. Uh, there's another small detail in the scene that oh. I thought was a nice little callback because. I remember in season seven, in the opener, everybody hated Ed Sheeran. They right. hated it, yes. his character. Uh, so in the beginning of the scene, these prostitutes are talking, and they 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 say that this character named Eddie had his whole face burned off, and he has no eyelids now, and yeah. that's the character that Ed Sheeran played. The ginger? The, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you hated Ed Sheeran, just know he got his justice. Yeah, he got, uh, got, got Quintoned. Uh, so... After they have sex, Euron tries to figure out how he stacks up to Cersei's other lovers. 
Uh, Cersei's attracted to his arrogance. And before he leaves, he tells her he's going to put a prince in her belly, which puts some kind of expression on her face. How are you reading this scene? So this seems like she is gearing up to do the same scam on Euron that she did on Robert this all these these many years that uh Jamie would get her with child as they would say mm-hmm. and then she would uh seduce Robert and then no one would be the wiser. So yeah. I think what we're seeing now that I know the context of this is kind of like this this laugh at like a yet another foolish man that I'm taking advantage of uh and literally cucking them <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like like this is you know like the like the cuckoo she's like uh laying an egg in another man's nest and he's going to take care of it um but then like also realizing that this is probably like unlike the other time where this is just a joke that her and Jamie are pulling over on Robert like this is all her alone and she might never see Jamie again. That's where yeah. the laugh turns into like a sob. Mm-hmm. I think it all checks out. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, after watching it a couple more times, I think th- that's right on. Uh, and, and it's, it's nice too, because she can not only pull this over on Euron, yeah. but you know, if she's victorious in this battle, she now has another, yeah. you know, some, some witnesses to, to say, Hey, her and Euron got down. Uh, so the people might not think, oh, well, it's another incest baby. She's trying to keep the in, uh, you know, it's funny that you'd think that like the incest baby, the least of the pro- her propaganda <laughs> problems now. But yeah, but what are you going to do? I also think it's ironic that Euron, by taunting her memory of the Fat King, is kind of like he doesn't get the fact that like, oh, that's what she did with him. Is that what? Or maybe he does. And he just doesn't care. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's other that's that's also underlining kind of the point that they're making in this scene. So then we go to Theon saving Yara uh, successfully. He kind of sneaks in because Euron's got a crew full of mutes who can't alert anybody when their throat is uh, slid open. And she punches him to the ground for not having saved her before when he could have and helps him back up. And Yara says they should take the Iron Islands back in case the living needs somewhere to retreat to. Uh, Then Yara sees that Theon really wants to fight for the Starks in Winterfell, so she tells him to go. Which I definitely think this is a a parting of ways uh, yeah. permanently. Yeah, it doesn't feel like uh, doesn't feel like she'd come back from this. Maybe she'll yeah. be like in a finale in some kind of thro- you know throne room celebration type of scene. Uh, well, I really think like the the thing that nobody is thinking about here is that the White Walkers don't have to cross water. Mm-hmm. They've got a fucking dragon. It's true. You just fly out to the Iron Island and blast. Right, right, right. right, right. They, they don't know it, so they can't be blamed for not thinking about it. But the Iron Islands aren't safe. That's interesting. Yeah. Because um, there's um, – I, I was going to talk about um, – you know, I wrote this these these uh, books in the off-season about the religions and cultures of Westeros. And in my research, I found in the world of ice and fire, there's this maester who makes this observation that weirwoods never grew on the Iron Islands – uh, because the, hmm. po- the the they they need a certain quality of soil, um, and and they, it was too poor for them to take purchase, and consequently there's no evidence of the children of the forest ever journeying to the Iron Islands too. There's like evidence of this uh, weird kind of uh, ancient precursor civilization um, that I talk a little bit about in the books, but. I was thinking that this is interesting because Yara actually probably has a right of it. Without the dragon, I wonder if um, you know, uh, it, it, like like. Since the we know that these things are essentially some kind of runaway weapon from the children of the forest, 
it's entirely possible that the White Walkers couldn't get over to the Iron Islands because they, uh-huh. they, it makes sense that the same magic that kind of created them would bind them to kind of more of West, uh, uh, Westeros. Now, there's always been a question of like, what if you never defeated the Night, the Night King or the White Walkers and they were able to take over all of Westeros and the entire globe freezes and then they, like, is this just a Westeros problem or Essos problem? Right, right. Um, I don't know that you can definitively say either way, except for there are a lot of like Azor High type prophecies from Essos, which implies that it, it can get a big problem on a really long night. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of an a interesting, interesting point. And if you want to read more, I got a whole chapter of great joy shit and got, got gods of thrones.com. Um, did you see the cameo by Mac from always sunny? No, the guy that got his eye shot out by the arrow, Rob McElroney, Rob McElroney. Yeah. Yes. Uh, wow. Okay. I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah. I missed it. Yeah. He was, uh, he, they had an interview with him on some of the extra features and he was, cause they've had like, you know, the double D's wrote an episode of always sunny. I think they've written two now written two. Uh, yes. So it's kind of yeah. cool to see the cultural, uh, exchange happening back and forth. Right. Okay. Then we move to, uh, the Karstarks arriving in Winterfell as Davos tries to impress upon Tyrion just how much of a role loyalty and oaths play in the lives of Northerners. He follows that up with the suggestion that they, uh, uh, they they propose a proposal. I'm going to suggest a suggestion uh-huh. that John and Danny become a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I. It, <laughs> okay, we'll we'll talk about John and Danny here in a second, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't think Tyrion quite understands the Northerners yet, and. Davos definitely does at this point. Well, it's weird that there's like, well, I'm skeptical the young will listen to the old, but like, I don't like, they're not suggesting anything that these two I don't think would be amenable to. Like, unless no, there's no. some kind of rip, you know rift between them, which you know, yeah. again, depending on how John handles this, it, yeah, it's almost like they're two steps behind plotting a coupling that has already happened and they yeah. should not be so oblivious to. But Tyrion knows, right? Tyrion sure. heard them banging on the boat. Yeah. He knows what's up. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't let on really in the scene. It though. was an odd way for him to play it. I'm not yeah. that, uh, I'm not sure why it went like that way. But I don't know. Maybe there's... Because uh, I, I, the, the previous scene where the uh, Theon rescued Yara, that did feel very kind of rushed and perfunctory because you know Theon just easily took over the silence, the flag. You know, and I feel like if they had established a mute thing and that had been like, uh, you know, Theon exploiting Euron's cruelty against him, it would have felt like, like an earned moment as, as it is. It felt yeah. like just like a, you know, he hit the easy button and won. He sort of got lucky. Euron, yeah. Euron was out, you know? And, and then this scene here with the dot, I, I felt like there's also, there's a couple things that, are, that I liked everything in isolation, but like in context of what everyone should know and be thinking about, it was a little weird. How pissed do you think Euron's going to be? He about. finds out that while he was off fucking the queen, uh, Theon swept in. Pretty pissed, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Pretty pissed. You think he's going to take some uh, rash actions to try and Where's rectify he, the situation? Do, do, you know how, do you know how long it takes to train a crew of mutes to run a complicated sailboat? Uh-huh. Do you know how much yelling and screaming usually happens on a, a on a sailing ship of that size just to like weigh anchor and leave I, port? Th- here's now he's got to start yeah. off from scratch. That's how that's you're on just off the game board now. He can't even pilot his own fucking ship. That's true. <laughs> He's he's like a, a one man crew and Sea of Thieves. Right, on the imagine boat. Han Solo and Chewbacca trying to get out of Hoth, except uh-huh. for not only uh, does does Han not speak Wookiees, but Chewbacca is also a mute. Yeah, this line goes there, and this sail goes, and and also there's 500 of them, and they all have to work together. So yeah, they, I think Euron's is done. 
He's... You would think that on a boat with <laughs> a, a purely mute crewed boat, you would have some sort of system of bells or cables that you can pull to alert people You're to on... certain actions. Get splitting migraines. So he just there's <laughs> no bells, bells. Yeah. There's no whistles. There's no ta- there's there's no Man. tongues. Seems like an oversight. If you I don't know fart, how that... if you fart, you're executed. Oh, hmm. just the silence. He takes it very serious. His branding very seriously. All right. Uh, so let's move on to Danny finding out that her dragons aren't eating because they don't like the North. So before we go to the rest of the scene, uh, I just wanted her to finish this fucking sentence because she she says they're talking about Sansa mm-hmm. and how you know she's not totally on board with her yet, and she says I am her queen. If she can't respect me, dot, dot, dot. And she gets interrupted. And I want her to finish that fucking sentence. That's the most important sentence in this entire episode. Exactly. That'll perk them right up. (laughs) Once once they've had a northern princess lady, they'll they'll, get their What do they eat? Whatever whatever I feed them, uh, Sansa. So watch your mouth. Like, I... Yeah, that's a very important sentence, and she does not finish it. I also Uh, thought, like, they don't like the north, like... That felt like a mom out of touch for why her her teenagers are moody. Like, she thinks it's because, you know, they got cut from the wrestling team. It's actually because their girlfriend uh, broke up with them. But they don't know anything about it. Like, cause, yeah. like, isn't the obvious answer that they lost one of their siblings? That's exactly what I was thinking. And they're mourning. But she's like, oh, it must be that they don't like the North because it's cold. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. This, this whole know. scene seems a little bit weird. Um, so, yeah, she finds out they're not eating. Then there's big CG bucks being spent by HBO, and we get a fairly impressive dragon joyriding scene. Oh, it's gorgeous. Scene. Yeah. And it's so well done. Then uh, they pull over long enough to get it on. Uh, that is, if John can keep it up with Drogon watching him, <laughs> staring intently at is him. Is it possible that Bran is warging into Drogon? It's totally possible, Because, like, yes. the, the <laughs> intensity of the stare is very similar. Oh, yeah. That's very intentional, similar. right? To draw draw some kind of parallel and i don't know what the purpose is but because otherwise it's just i mean i think it works on two levels if if they want to suggest that this is actually brand keeping keep you know creepy tabs on his brother yeah because why wouldn't he um also because he knows that there's the real truth and it'd be good to keep tabs on this political situation but also it's just uh like the dogs having watching have sex you know uh-huh. that's it's, it's it works as just a just a visual gag um For sure. but like i said in in my preamble to this episode this is a fine scene. I just feel like knowing that that John is riding the dragon that's named after his father and Danny's mm. brother. That that's like if this would have been like a, a a moment of realization that yes, I can do this. I can be a dragon rider because it's in my blood. And versus just like okay, well, if a dragon likes you for any reason, uh, you can hop on and take him for a ride. I don't know. It, yeah. it felt more like uh, Harry Potter riding uh, hippogriff. Like it's just there. For... I was going to say a tray you riding Falgor, but yeah. okay. No, it's just purely <laughs> yeah. aspirational. Like, wouldn't it be cool to ride a dragon uh-huh. with your lady friend? Uh, it's Aladdin on the carpet. It's yeah. it's, but it could have been more. And I, I feel like just with, with a you. slight reordering of the sequence of events here, it could have been. And mm-hmm. but it was really, really sweet. Seemed like it'd be really fucking cold. They're not wearing hoods. They're not wearing masks. They're going. Yeah, that's... they're going flight speeds mm-hmm. uh, in, in very cold air. Yeah, I bet that free fall was fun though. Yeah, I think it'd be terrifying. Like you're in zero g, and the only thing holding you on is gripping this dragon's floppy horns. Yeah, I don't know how they stay on these things, but <laughs> we'll we'll overlook that. Um, 
So I think John should have flown a little bit further north and taken her to the hot springs. Fuck the waterfalls. Yeah. Hot yeah. springs where it's at. Well, uh, who's, who's to say there's not a hot pool under those falls? It's true. You don't have you, you, also the hot springs are like super empty. Like you mm-hmm. had a hundred thousand uh, wildlings you had to compete with before. Now it's just like uh, hot springs, sex, no waiting. It's true. <laughs> All right, Gendry is casting dragonglass weapons while the hound gives him grief until Arya shows up and they sort of exchange mean mugs. Uh, until the hound finally cracks and his respect for her still being alive slips through. Uh, Arya then asks Gendry to make her a new weapon as they lightly tease each other. So, I mean, yeah, Arya Sandor. Weird. I, it was more antagonistic than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, from at least his side of things. Um, because, like, I, I thought that him and Brienne kind of shared a moment of being kind of proud of their shared parentage last season i thought that that might shine Hmm. through a little bit more but that it's fine um i feel like we talked a lot on the instant cast about Arya and gendry flirting and how we thought about that like we're kind of like neutral to in favor yeah i think so um they're cute i i honestly have a hard time seeing Arya with anyone at the end of this but Hmm. you know if anyone gendry sure uh he seems like a cool guy uh, the one thing that we were going to catch up on was Arya's uh, mystery weapon. Yeah. What do you think? I've I've heard some reported as a, a double-ended spear. Uh, the telescoping thing is still in play. I'm not really sure what to make of it or how it would be more effective than the weapons that she already has because she has uh, a Valerian steel dagger, which mm-hmm. we know... We'll take out White Walkers. I don't know sure. if she knows that. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, Valyrian-tipped spears would be about... Like, spears were kings of the battlefield for a long, 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 long time. Mm. Um, like, a, a pretty much up until, like, the invention of gunpowder uh, and and rifles and whatnot. Uh, so, like, having... Because I saw some people suggest it might be, like, a blow dart, kind of like, uh, like Jack and Hagar would use, which would be kind of cool, like a... Like a obsidian flache kind of thing that you can that shoot, tip but looks but also enormous. Yeah, I, too it, heavy. It does seem like it's some kind of, um, and we saw in the trailers, of course, Arya is swinging around like some kind of bow staff looking weapon. I think it's yeah. that we're just seeing, right. a sw- and it's probably got some trick that it can split in half, kind of like uh, Darth Maul's lightsaber, and sure. and like Darth Maul himself. Yeah, uh, can be split in half and still be <laughs> combat effective, as we found out in Solo. Uh-huh. So I, I think it's I, I, I don't think it's going to be like any kind of magical super weapon beyond just dragon glass tipped spear that can transform into probably two daggers with crazy long handles. Yeah. And and you know that's other thing. It's like right. you know like uh, I just think it's a reach problem. It's it's like when you're why would you fight zombies hand to hand with like a, a dagger? You need a little bit more reach, so mm-hmm. that's what it's gonna. That's what it's gonna give her. Uh, it's gonna l- allow her to believably kind of whirl through these crowds and 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 kill a bunch of White Walkers and zombies without putting herself at risk. Yeah, makes sense. All right, then we go to Sansa delivering John the news that the Glovers are not coming to support them at Winterfell. John's pissed at Glover, but Sansa's pissed at John for abandoning his crown. So John makes the case for why his title doesn't matter, and Danny is their only chance to save the North. And Sansa asks him whether he bent the knee to save the North or because he loves Danny. Fair questions all around. Like, I, I think everybody makes their point here uh, and has valid points, which mm-hmm. is what I appreciate out of a scene. Like, characters acting on the things they believe when and, and 
butting heads over things that they should rightfully believe. Yeah, but that, you know, coming out of last season, one of my big questions is how are they going to make a struggle between Danny and John, which seem, uh, did seem like they're gearing up for, believable? And I think this is the answer. It's mm-hmm. not going to be really a struggle between John and Danny. It's going to be a struggle between Danny winning the allegiance of all of Westeros and yeah. and uh, and John not having his family suspect that he's under the spell of some Targaryen. Yeah, there's bad blood on both sides. Like, you know, next next week, J- you know, Jamie meeting Danny's going to be high comedy, I'm sure, uh-huh. as the Kingslayer, as the murder of his father. But, like, there's a lot of fucked up shit because, you know, her father murdered their grandfather and uncle right. and started off the whole Robert's Rebellion Nobody's thing. Nobody's innocent I mean, here. Yeah. No. There's, uh, if, if people start adding up tallies and bills and trying to sort that out, the, the Night King just wins. So the tension's mm-hmm. going to be... Again, John and Danny trying to convince everyone to be altruistic. And, and honestly, I think this is a test of Danny's character, too. Oh, 100%. Because yeah. I think she should at least be willing to consider John's claim. Like, John might like say, well, I yeah. think you're still like, you still are the better queen. Oh, but, I, like, I think, yeah. If it comes to that, if there's a choice to be made here, I think John, like I said in the, the preview podcast, essentially says, no, I've pledged myself to this queen. Right. Even though I'm rightfully king, I've already made my choice, but and it, but if I'm Dan- going to honor that. But if Danny c- comes at it like, well, it's just I have to be queen because why? Yeah, no, point, you don't you know, want that to Just because I wanted it really bad, and I've worked really hard, and i like, yeah. okay. So, because dragons? Yeah, but I do think they're going to set it up between, you know, it, it's going to be more of um, it's a, a war for the people's hearts and minds more than John's. And I, I hope sure. so, because again... I ain't buying John having a big crisis of conscience about whether he should be king or not and whether Danny's crazy. No, no, no. Um, I, I think it definitely complicates things, though, mm-hmm. because, you know, the North wants a leader that they already trust and can follow. And John now has the opportunity to say, that's me. That's me. I, look, I've got the loyalty of the, the queen here because we've been working together for so long sure. now. Uh, I've got your loyalty already because I've already shown you what I can do. Now, as the rightful heir to the throne, maybe they might want him to step up and be yeah. king. But I really don't see John. Here's doing the thing, because I, I was almost ready to say that it is. It makes more sense for Danny to bend the knee to John because John has this truculent people who are deeply suspicious of her, and you know, Danny has this army who's essentially unwaveringly loyal. But I'm, I thought, well, that's that's treating the unsullied like they're still slaves, and they're not. Like. I actually think if Danny bends the knee to John, that might start a crisis of conscience in them. Because, like, part of their fanatical following of Danny is this kind of almost manifest destiny that she's the mother of dragons and she's their, she's Misha and she's all this. And if she kneels to some other foreigner, what the fuck does that? And the Dothraki, what the hell? They so like this, this almost feels like it could be a a contest of like who doesn't want to be the leader the most, right? <laughs> right. Like. John's no, I've already pledged myself to you. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, no, we need this for the North to follow us. And yeah. they go back and forth over, I don't want it. You take it. Yep, yep. I don't know. I don't see that happening, but we'll see. Uh, so then Jorah takes Danny to meet Sam, the man who cured his grayscale. Unfortunately, when Danny hears his house name, she has to drop the bomb that she murdered not only his father, but his beloved brother as well. And it devastates Sam, who runs out into the night and finds Bran waiting for an old friend, as he says. Mm-hmm. Bran tells him it's time to clue John in on his true parentage. We don't have time for pointless squabbles. <laughs> Go tip over the, 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 the map of Westeros. You know? I know, Bran has no <laughs> like, sympathy for anybody. But, but man, I, I feel so bad for Sam here. This yeah. is, this is uh, brutal, because I, I think he could have let his father go. 
right, right? I, yeah but it's it's dickon yeah it's dickon <laughs> i gotta say his name it's dickon it's dickon who dickon him over really is is sticking with him here can't and get over the dickon he just like yeah he's get, he's gonna be sad that his father's dead uh-huh but not as sad as he is that his brother's dead because his brother didn't hate him. I thought John Bradley did a great job here. Oh hell because yeah! Because as I was watching it and I and, and knowing what was coming and seeing him react to the death of his father, I'm like, I'm actually not sure how how Sam would react. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I feel like I'm a I'm a good friend of his, but like who knows what 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 you'd how you'd react to the death of your father. No. And I felt like it just felt real. And then. You you knew also as soon as he started to say well at least I'll be welcome home that yeah. like you know the look on date like it's it's also I thought Emil Clark did a pretty good job of playing this like very awkward mm-hmm. while it's almost like uh, anytime you see like a president or world leader being being yelled at by like the mother of a dead soldier it's like that's an extremely awkward thing but part of being a leader is dealing with shit like that and I yeah. thought. You know, I think actually she could have done a lot better, but it's like, what what, what do you do really? when you say? I think, I think she's doing some really great work in this episode. I'm not um, saying as an, I'm saying as Danny as a leader, oh, okay, maybe yeah, yeah. could have been a little bit more human and yeah. a little less like, uh, well, shit, I guess I killed your family by my hand. Everyone told me not to. Yeah, I, I think this is why I think Amelia Clark is doing such a good job yeah. is because I'm not certain at all times where Danny stands. Like, yeah. she's clearly got some lust for power right i mean she wants to be queen probably she, she for declares what, i'm the rightful queen at every opportunity she gets that's probably what, what she would consider altruistic reasons for sure yeah uh but but that's a craving for power sure. which is always a dangerous scary thing um and, and amelia clark is like playing this line between like i need to get the north on my side but also i'm the fucking queen and they need to get in line like th- there's a tension there between those two things and she is playing it just right on that line and i think she's doing a great job and john bradley like they're maybe the two most compelling uh actors in this episode for me because because we haven't seen sam do this kind of work can we talk about so so this is to set up a contrast because because sam's going to go tell john about his his heritage yeah uh, at the behest of bran and so John has the the natural defense of look I've also executed men who were insubordinate who disobeyed me. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between what Danny did and what John did? Cuz if it's just because one guy's got burnt by fire and the other guy's got a beheading, I'm calling right. bullshit. Yeah, no, I I think there's not much of a distinction to be made. The, and I really cuz I this really bothered me so I spent a lot of time trying to think about it and here's the best case I got. Okay. Jano Slint is who we're talking about here. Jano Slint guy. was a corrupt, weaselly. He, he, like he, he, he accepted bribes. He put out. Uh, he, he gave away positions of importance uh, for money. He put the people's safety at risk. Um, he is a, a, like fundamentally a dishonest, craven character. Mm-hmm. So when John gave him a second chance of like, okay, you can you can prove me wrong, and the guy tells him basically, fuck you. I have powerful friends that I bought, and then John's like, fetch me to block. Um, Randall Tarley, say what you will about him as a father and husband and all that, but mm-hmm. like everyone considers him to be a fairly moral, just, honest person. And the reason he's not refusing to bow to Danny is probably legitimate. Like he remembers the Mad King and all that kind of stuff. So 
I feel like that's the only difference. Like the the character mm-hmm. of Randall is such that maybe you keep him a prisoner and give him a couple weeks to consider, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly don't kill his son for standing up for a father. Like that seems like like fucking Danny would do the same thing. Like she is kind of defending the memory of the Mad King. So like yeah. it's it's there's a level of hypocrisy and like the difference in stand, moral standing of the characters who are being executed, and but it's also a really fine point to argue. It is, and that's always been kind of the the hallmark of Danny, right? Yeah. Is that she's figuring her way out, uh, figuring her way through this shit as she goes. She doesn't have any good answers. She started off as just a kid, like she's she's learning. I, I hope she gets articulate because I hope John confronts her about some of this stuff, and I hope she's able to yeah. articulate a defense. It's not some imperious Danny, I'm a queen. Bullshit. Right. Yeah, because that, like, honestly, that means nothing to me. Right. <laughs> like, it mean less to John. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was a king. No. <laughs> uh, it turns out I actually still am a king. Yeah, I'm actually your boss. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Sam goes to the crypts where he finds John and asks if he would have killed his family as Danny did if he were king, which he rightfully should be. Uh, John's confused until Sam tells him who his parents are, which really confuses him because it means he's uh his honorable father lied to him for his entire life and we've kind of talked about a big chunk of this scene already um but yeah it is like this is a super important scene Mm -hmm. uh probably the biggest conflict driver for the entire final season yeah is what i guess other than than like night king and cersei yeah the the big battles but like character wise and 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 you know the the game of thrones yeah like this is the biggest conflict driver and i'm excited to see how it plays out honestly and also i think sam like you know his strongest point is you gave up your crown to save your people which she do the same that's an open question because we've never seen danny have to do that mm-hmm. like she's always either through treachery or uh in the case of the 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 you know slave owners of uh was it marine astapor or court one of those can't remember yeah one of those slave cities uh either through deceit treachery or outright show of strength she's won every battle she's never had to put her crown on the line mm-hmm. uh john john did and he, we saw the decision he made so i don't the thing is is like yeah i don't i don't see how you simulate that uh you know it's like well would you give up the crown uh Oh, oh sure i would we'll we'll do it then okay the crown's yours all right i was just testing you like what <laughs> right you know like yeah how are they going to resolve this conflict in a way that's not ridiculous um well the thing I, that i love is the tension it sets up with the northerners yes. uh because again yeah i think it, it's not going to be danny and john sideways at each other i yeah. think it's like how do we how do we do this how do we make this work for everybody yeah um and here here's the other important thing so a lot of people are calling sam out as like personally vindictive in this scene going to john immediately and saying you should be the king because fuck danny she killed my father and brother i don't buy that at all here here's why i think it's crucial it's it's a fair first reading of the scene though yeah 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 i i agree um here's why i think it's crucial that sam actually tells john Mm -hmm. and shows that he's actually kind of pissed about this Uh um and asks this question would you have done the same he's now playing with all his cards on the table john can't come to him and say well, I found out that she killed your father and brother, and like I'm pissed about that. You must be pissed. Were you playing the playing me? Like, mm-hmm. were you hiding this from me intentionally? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything's on the table. Mm-hmm. John just now has to do with it what he will. Plus, and crucially, that's it, important. It's not like Sam ran down to the crypts in some kind of mean girl way. Like, oh, look what Danny wrote in her burn book. It was like he was hurt and angry. He ran into Bran and Bran said, now is the time. I don't think Sam would have chosen to go down there and confront him like that half cocked, except for Bran pushed him to do it. So there's the ultimate, 
It wasn't Sam's idea. Like, I think Sam would have mm-hmm. kept on. The reason he was hiding from John, John correctly deduced it, is because he isn't good at keeping secrets, and he's got a big one from John, so he's yeah. avoiding him. I think he would have just continued to do that. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I, I don't I, I don't think Sam's got a got a d- duplicious bone in his body. I'm with you. All right, so we go to Barrick and Tormund uh, skulking around Last Hearth until they run into Dolores Ed. Dolores? I don't know how to pronounce it. Who shows them what he's found, uh, which is a grisly message from the Night King. Uh, they realize <sighs> that they might be able to make Winterfell on horseback before the Night King does, but before they can finish planning that... The message comes to life, and they have to set it on fire before it murders them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the message being a spiral of body parts around Lord Umber. Yeah, oh, the late Lord fucked Umber. fucked up, this image. It is wild. Um, the, make, the, the, the making of special, they actually had a, a, a dwarf or, or little person actor that they put a realistic face of the kid on, and they set him on fire for like 10 seconds. What? Yeah. Why would you do that? Animatronics, I man. I would think that's what I was thinking, but, you know, stunt guys got to eat, oh. too, and it seemed like a good time was How had can you by eat all. when your lips are burnt off? <laughs> that's what I want to know. Uh, they can safely set people on fire now. Apparently, I mean, I mean they yeah. had this technology for years, but uh, oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I still, it I, still I was, doesn't seem safe. I was thinking because like they they have this guy hung up, and they like they're okay on like you know one two three, you're gonna light a barracks blade, and then one two three, he's going to touch you with it, and on three, you stab him, and then we're gonna count to ten and then put you out. So the guy goes on fire, and you just hear the director screaming one two, and I'm Faster, thinking, yeah, like if you're inside that suit burning, it's got to feel like the longest ten seconds. But they interviewed the guys, like actually, I wasn't, I, I saw like the barest flicks of red um, through my like viewport or whatever. It's uh-huh. like I wasn't, I when they put me out, the first thing I asked was like, did you guys did I catch did fire? You get it? Yeah. So I guess that's how good the technology works. Wow, damn! But it looked horrifying. Yeah. Um, a lot of people wrote in to point out, and, 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 and Cecily, actually, the night we watched this, she came home, and we have um, a couple of these like Targaryen medallions, mm. and she yeah. had one on her desk, and she says, doesn't this look like the symbol? It's like, you know, they have this spiral motif, but also mm. it undeniably looks a lot like the Targaryen sigil yeah, of the, the dragon. three-headed dragons and their tails and their wings, and they're all kind of in that similar spiral. Yeah. Um, it's tough to say because... Uh, the, the the White Walkers do this spiral stuff. We saw that in the caves of Dragonstone. We've seen them do this with body parts before. Um, is this actually, though, a message aimed at, like, the mother of dragons? Like, we're coming for you, uh, Mrs. Targaryen. We've never really known what that message has meant, you know, even mm-hmm. from the beginning. Right. The, the spiral is sort of enigmatic. So maybe, maybe, but I, I don't know. It was grisly. It was uh, yeah, one of the I, more one of the more straight up horror horror house things we've seen in this show, for sure. Uh, and then we get the final scene where a cloaked figure rides into Winterfell and reveals himself as Jamie Lannister. Uh, unfortunately, before he can even settle in, he runs smack face into the omniscient smack and smack face, very starey, and hopefully not vengeful Bran. Uh, oh, I hope he's vengeful. I want him to put <laughs> Jamie through the ringer. <laughs> I want everyone to remember. There's no way he threw this cute kid out out the out the yeah. window. Uh, we we are definitely not going to get a holding a grudge scene with Bran and Jamie. Uh, Jamie might be terrified that that's the case, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a little bit nervous. But 
Bran doesn't care anymore. I don't know. Why would he be out there waiting for him otherwise? Clearly, in my mind, there's something important for Jamie to do. It's also possible that like Bran knows that if he just wanders into camp and is apprehended by Danny, that things could go poorly. Oh, since this yeah. is the Kingslayer, and we know who, which king he slayed. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if we're they're they're wanting us to think that this is going to be some kind of grudge match, but I wonder if it's more of like I. I want to intercept you so that we can do this properly. Because, like, I, sometimes I know we just talked about how there's very little evidence, direct evidence, that Brand can foresee the future. Yeah. But, like, there is a little bit of me that thinks that maybe he's a, like a Doctor Strange kind of, I've seen 14 million possibilities and we mm-hmm. only win in one. And he's, like, maneuvering all these weird plays that seem yeah. like it's making things worse or they're a distraction from the actual wars at hand is actually him navigating the timeline or what the sequence of events to directly oppose the Night King and bring all these things together. It would be yeah, super there's... sick and satisfying if they if that is a point we realize organically two, three, four episodes from now. Well, there's there's so you know in our world there's this idea that history repeats itself, right? I've heard that. So it could be that Brand can't see the future, but he can see the past so clearly that, that he can. The, the and, patterns are so clear, right? The patterns are all stacking up in the same way, and he's able to sort of push things in a direction that might have averted the previous disasters yeah, or, or the things that have gone wrong in the past. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not exactly as clear as I see the future. Um, it's wild. I watched um, the first like half of the pilot um, when I was com- uh, compiling feedback and working out my notes because I wanted to see this. But you compare Tyrion and Jamie's coloration this episode to their like season one. Yeah. It's shocking, especially there's a... Um, I think they eventually darkened Jamie's color scheme, but like from the original pilot that they canceled and reshot, there's a few scenes where he's like really fucking frosted blonde. Yeah. Um, that's intentional, right? As mm-hmm. they get further and further from the Lannister orbit. I mean, everybody's doing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody, as as winter has closed in and things have gotten grimmer, everybody's gotten darker. Will, will, the uh, Starks went from brown to black. But Danny's still platinum blonde. Do oh, think, hair color. Yeah. 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 Do you but think? But she was wearing pure black for the longest time. True. Do you think John's hair is going to start turning platinum? Yes. I think that when he realizes he's a Targaryen, that he will just revert DNA at the DNA level. The bleach to is a strong. Targaryen. Yeah. The, the, the bleach is strong. <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, that, it's, just, it's just striking how much, uh, different, how much different they look um, just from a hair and makeup standpoint. Uh, it is exciting to me to have Jamie up here because yeah. how the hell are the Northerners going to respond to him? Uh, or Dan, like everyone, <laughs> like, if everyone. If you didn't need another wrinkle, here's another There's fucking wrinkle. There's multiple reasons all these people have to hate him and only maybe, maybe Brienne. Well, definitely Brienne well, would he's speak gonna in come his up behalf. Here. He's going to make Tyrion look like a fool who's an advisor to to Danny, right? Because right. he's going to drop the bomb that Cersei's not coming up here to yeah, help where you. Where are the rest of you, brother? Right. Yeah. It, uh, so nothing is good for this whole scenario. Like this... I expect episode two to be a real banger when it comes to like figuring out their shit in Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. there are going to be arguments on all sides. Blood might be shed. I don't know because we got to get to some kind of understanding before the Night King gets there. And or, it's or and, fucked. It, and we're on a definite clock with that because, yeah. as uh, Tormund said, you know they're they're halfway between the last hearth and Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not a lot of time. Yeah, you think uh, old. Barrick could be the the determining factor in Winterfell mm, with his fire sword. I don't know. His, I don't know his potential. It's the thing is like it seems like it's really crucial that they give that warning, but I don't. 
Uh, it makes sense for them to think that, but I actually think from a from a purely kind of like uh, omniscient narrator, I don't uh, standpoint it doesn't matter. Yeah, because they know that the wall's been breached and the dead's advancing. So like maybe they don't know if it's tomorrow, the next day, the next day. But like, I would have to assume that they've got scouts and outriders, and they're oh, they'll know pretty much on, they... and they're also just on a war footing. Like as yeah. soon as we can go to war, we're going to go to war. So like I I don't know what the warning would give them other than you know the exact date and time which i guess that's valuable yeah today's sponsor is arrow life is too short for bad wi-fi and you know what jim the single router model just doesn't work for our increasingly high bandwidth world it's physics i don't know if you know that this electromagnetic radiation that we use to communicate invisibly magically uh in our homes is actually just like a form of light i use the weirwood wi-fi do you yeah well, so. all, all I know is you can't ask a, a light bulb in your living room to light up your bedroom because there's walls and That's there's fair. material in the way. And those things also get in the way of the other uh, invisible light, uh, this, the Wi-Fi signals. Uh, it's especially bad in my house because I live in like a 90-year-old house that has really thick plaster walls and masonry. And I have a devil of a time getting all those dead spots out of my house. What you need and what I need is a distributed system uh, this is what offices has for years at considerable work and expense. They build a mesh network that has multiple devices providing overlapping coverage. With Arrow, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your house in just a few minutes. And they're not joking. Uh, I, this is a true story. Today, before I went uh, to record this Game of Thrones podcast, I had about 15 minutes to kill before I walked out of the room. And I saw that I had this this evaluation router, and I'm like, eh, I'll open it up and read the manual. Uh, nine minutes later, I had the thing installed and configured. Uh, when I saw that it was just a card that had three steps, and the most complicated <laughs> was downloading an app, I'm like, awesome. I was able to do that with like six clicks on my thumb and naming the network, giving a password, and I was good to go. Uh, what's your experience with the... the yeah, thing? it's super easy. So I also have the problem of like, I've, I have my office set up in the basement, and then I also want Wi-Fi in my bedroom, which is on the opposite side of the house and upstairs. Mm. So my router has never quite worked super well uh, in the bedroom. The Earth is a fa- fantastic shield for Wi-Fi signal. It, it turns out, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I set this thing up. It took less than 10 minutes. I mean, and that's including, like, one misplacement of the beacon because <laughs> the process I really like, when you download the app, it walks you through everything step by step and one of those steps which has always confounded me in the past is getting the extender connected to the base station Mm -hmm. uh which in their in their terms is the beacon uh that's the extender and this so i've tried to place it near the bedroom thinking okay well i'll get good reception there but they they have the system set up so that you realize okay well i got to set it kind of halfway to the point where i actually want it and they walk you through that whole process it told me no that's not good enough actually move it about halfway to where you really want it uh and do this test again and it was super easy in addition to its ease of use arrow's home wi-fi system also features arrow plus software giving you the ability to block malicious and unwanted content from your entire network plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites blocks annoying and intrusive ads and automatically tags sites that contain violent illegal or adult content so you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit so that's if, cool because that process sucks on a regular router. Yeah, and like I said, I I when I moved in his house, I had these problems, and I solved it by kind because I'm 
was in another life an IT professional. So right. I did the research. I bought the routers. I got the extenders. I did no all that thanks. kind of stuff. It did not take me only nine minutes, and it still is a worse <laughs> solution than the Arrow and Arrow Plus system. So if you want to join Jim and I and never have to think about your Wi-Fi again, you can get $100 off the Arrow base unit and two beacons package plus one year of Arrow Plus by visiting arrow.com slash GOT and entering promo code GOT at checkout. That's arrow, E-E-R-O dot com slash G-O-T and promo code G-O-T at checkout. This podcast is also sponsored by Audible. And Audible's been one of our oldest, most frequent sponsors, and uh, we appreciate their loyalty. Uh, Audible is, of course, a leading provider of digital premium spoken audio information entertainment on the Internet. Their content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks and other audio products, Membership to Audible includes one free audiobook a month, exclusive sales, and 30% off all their regularly priced audiobooks. Plus, all unused credits roll over to the next month. And if you don't like an audiobook, you can exchange it with no hassle. Unlike streaming or rental services with Audible, you own your books, even if you cancel. The Audible app is available on all major platforms and provides a variety of features that I personally enjoy, such as speed control. I can listen to the narration faster or slower, whatever speed suits me personally. Also, I enjoy their integration with WhisperSync for voice, which allows me to switch between uh, reading and listening to the audiobook across many different devices, including Amazon's Kindle and Echo, without ever losing my place or missing a word. And hey... You're listening to a Game of Thrones podcast, so you might be interested to know the Audible has the entire catalog of Song of Ice and Fire works, including George's latest, The Fire and Blood, hmm. uh, Volume 1, a, a very detailed history of the Targaryen uh, Empire. What if I'm not a fantasy guy? Could I go sci-fi? Could I go with like Game of Thrones in space, The Expanse? I will not only allow it, but encourage it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, check out book one of that. Uh, I actually listened to all of these on Audible. Leviathan Wakes is the first one in that series, and that is really a, just a superb show and a superb series of books. Yeah, it's it's good as as Game of Thrones is kind of winding down. We have something as good as Expanse kind of winding up, and you know, not yeah. coincidentally, we have podcast coverage of that show as well. But hey, this is all about Audible, and you can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial right now and get your first audiobook plus two Audible Originals free. Visit audible.com slash GOT or text GOT to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash GOT or text GOT to 500-500. That's it. That's it for the episode. We have feedback. We do? We have so much We have so much feedback. I'm going to read a small fraction of the feedback we get. Okay. Uh, which is still a healthy amount, as you'll see. Uh, you can send this feedback to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, if we didn't read your email, uh, it's because we got a bunch of them. Also, we have a bunch that I've saved for the spoiler edition that comes out this Friday. Um, so you still have time to get it in for that. Plus, uh, we already have a, a, a good amount of feedback for that one, too. Anyway, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Or you can talk uh, to your fellow fans on the forums at forums.baldmove.com. Here we go. Uh, Melanie, since the Lord of Light seems to allow people to be brought back to life in what feels like a very calculated way, I believe something was mentioned about Barrett and Darian must have some unfinished business that the Lord of Light was keeping him alive. Do you think that once their role is completed, such, uh, and she's referring to Barrick and Jon Snow here, those brought back by the Lord of Light will drop dead the way the Whites hmm. drop dead, respectively, when their, their personal White Walker is defeated? Good question. Uh, I don't know the answer. It doesn't seem, hmm, it doesn't seem like John has changed much, but 
Could be the Lord of Light just keeping him going. I mean, I don't think there's much direct evidence that you can say either way. Um, Martin himself has said that he thinks that, like, John and Barrick, well, Barrick for sure, maybe, uh, uh, um, and yeah, no. Well, uh, okay, so Thoros is dead, right? No. Thoros is alive. Wait, wait, he might have died. Did he die last season? I think he died at the end of last season. Yeah, yeah. uh, when they were up at in the north. Um, Right. And Beric's still kicking. Mm-hmm. Thoros is the guy who brought him back, right? True, but she, the, but she's saying like, if their purpose is fulfilled, would they cease to be animated? And I, I guess I, I was trying to say like, so, so my point was that George says that they're like these are all whites. You got fire whites and you got ice whites. So the the question you got to ask is, does the mechanism of them differ? You mm-hmm. know, um, because the one thing you also they're different between the two types of whites is it seems like the ice whites are largely mindless. Mm-hmm. They don't have any will that kind of animates themselves. It's not. It's not finishing their purpose that that drops them dead right it's just the, the night the leader beckons. of them like killed. they, they yeah. can literally sit there for th- hundreds of years uh in a frozen tundra and then erupt out of the ground when they need to when the night king calls them whereas mm-hmm. john obviously has a a will and intelligence of his own so mm-hmm. they're very different what, yeah i don't know how to even speculate on it i would guess that uh the lord like if uh, their purpose was fulfilled they wouldn't just like be cut like marionette strings but that would be pretty metal John as, jumps as, in a Superman stab and yeah. gets the Night King, and then he just crumples to the ground. Or if they just outright win, and him and Danny are rejoicing, and then he just crumples to the ground. Like I, they go to the waterfall, and that would be that'd be that'd be pretty fucking metal, though. Um, all right, Karen. Someone asked how they count time in the Game of Times realm. Sorry, Game of Times, Game of Thrones realm. You discussed where the plan, uh, the year starting point would be, but I started thinking about what is a year on this planet. A yeah. year is how long our Earth takes to orbit our sun, but who knows the size of their planet or their sun or their orbit. So when all these characters are seemingly so young in the books, perhaps it just takes longer to get around the sun. Um, also, something is off with this planet and that winter only comes once in a thousand years. So why do they call it winter then? Do they not have seasons? We, I know we've talked about this. Yes. But I still couldn't answer this question. Um, because so the, the show does not give a shit from from George's mouth that there is no astrophysical reason that these seasons are wonky. It's a magical reason. So the maesters can count years based on how many times because they can you know through through celestial observations, et cetera, et cetera. They have ways to count their years, and that's like you know um, like like for example, Arya and Bran are multiple years old yet. You know, they, they're summer children. They've never known a winter before, before this one. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of theories about why this is like this. Like maybe there's there one idea that uh, I've seen and like is that before the White Walkers were invented by the children, it could be the planet, the planetos, uh, that seasons are relatively normal and creating these kind of like this, these these characters out of this ice magic imbalanced it. And then when they were vanquished, then you had these really long summers. And when they're active, you have these really long winters. But uh, winter doesn't come once in a thousand years. It comes semi-regularly every, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years to like uh, there's been like, a, I think, a 15 year summer. It's one of the record yeah. long summers going into Game of Thrones. Um so they happen, and they're, they're, they're shorter, longer, but they're not the cataclysmic things that happen every few thousand years when the White Walkers return. Uh, but it's all, like, according to Martin, it's all magic. There's no astrophysical reason for the seasons to be the way they are. Moving on to KCL. I've been getting some thought about Danny's Season 5 comment about breaking the wheel, which was revisited again by Tyrion in Season 7. I don't think the quote definitely means that she wants to do away with an inherited monarchy. If that's the case, then it's in direct opposition to all the other stuff she's been saying throughout the show's run. 
most recent of which is that she was saying to John during the first meeting on Dragonstone, I was born to rule the king, the seven kingdoms, and I will. She doesn't want to get rid of the monarchy. She wants to get rid of the feudal system in Westeros, which is clear when you listen to the full quote. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell, they're just spokes on the wheel. This one's on top, then that one. On and on it spins, crushing those on the, gra- uh, on the ground. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. So her objections lie in the devastation experienced by the common folk when these powerful families start making plays for power. These plays always result in violence because each family has their own army to compete with all the others. This is a staple of the feudal system for which the king parcels out pieces of property to lower lords in exchange for services, i.e. military support. So he's saying that they don't have any royal army, so it's, it's, it's the problem isn't with the monarchy. It's the fact that all these lords essentially have all the military might and they kind of the the king rules essentially by their consent and that Danny could maybe establish a royal army to go along with the royal fleet to end the 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 wheel. Okay. I feel like that's a bittersweet ending. Uh cuz yeah. that sounds awfully close to I mean as in as much as a kingship a monarchy yeah. is not a dictatorship. That sounds like a dictatorship. But like, I, I don't oh, want anybody sure. else to contest my power, uh, and therefore I'm going to break that wheel and just become the one true ruler. Right, and it just it feels like it's just adding another step to, the, the, to the, another remove from the analysis because, you know, you're saying that the people suffer when there's war. Mm-hmm. But canonically, usually there's war when people are suffering. When the king is a shitty king, the lords get the idea to depose them, and then you get war. Um, yeah, there's also like civil wars within the Targaryen, but like those weren't as many as 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 uh, you know the, the the individual squabbles between the seven kingdoms. So I feel like you even with a national army um, or a royal army, if Danny's kids are complete assholes and they mismanage it and people start starving, you're going to have war and they're mm-hmm. going to be overthrown. So yeah, she just doesn't think that she's going to rule that way. There's, there's just that, to and, cause and that's those the thing, problems, the, the, which the, is the, naive. Yeah, the inherent, the inherent problem of the monarchy is there's no way to peacefully transition power when a for the the government is no longer serving the people. Right, you have to you take cross it your by fingers force. and you hope that the next king is better. Exactly, exactly. So again, you know, and I, I don't hide my bias. I'm very much for some sort of proto democracy in Westeros. Something I argue in my book. Uh, spend a whole chapter on, um, but godsofthrones.com. Godsofthrones.com. But it's not something like I'm not going to be like, oh, damn, George didn't do. Like, I'm fully prepared to accept the conventional queenship or kingship, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I'm, not, I'm not lashed to this idea. Um, Charlotte R. Last night I finished my Game of Thrones rewatch and it got me thinking about the White Book. Uh, so, the White Book is the deeds of the Kingsguard that the, the Lord Commander kind of maintains. Okay. Um, they made a relatively big deal about was that the this. the one that Jamie didn't have a page in? Yes. Okay. Uh, they made a relatively big deal about this book in season four where Joffrey was taunting Jamie about how brief his entry was. Ah, brief, right. As much as I love the uh, Brienne slash Jamie relationship and don't want to see either of them die, I think it's inevitable that Jamie will, probably in some heroic way. I think the Brienne will then complete Jamie's entry in the White Book, explaining how his slaying of the Mad King was a noble act and restoring Jamie's story to be fitting for a noble and honorable member of the Kingsguard. Hmm. Okay. I don't have much commentary other than I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Like, uh, un- unlike the uh, proto-democracy, I am officially married to this idea. No, I like that because, you know, in as much as Brienne, uh, it, you know, I had this theory like, okay, Brienne fittingly should end up with Jamie because she was made fun of and she, you know, now gets the most handsome man in all of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would kind of almost 
makes sense for her to want to rectify Jamie's uh, reputation in that book, I think, Mm -hmm. because her reputation was so shitty for a, a long time. Yeah, and I, I, get, I mean, I can just see the scene. Like, I, I talked about in the preview podcast, like, it'd be cool if Danny had an all-female Queensguard, and, like, if mm-hmm. you had to guess, Brienne would probably be the, oh, the, yeah. the lady commander, and just her, you know, turning to the book, and Jamie, he's the last Lord Commander, and you look at his entry, and it's uh, bullshit, uh, Barristan propaganda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, would, I could see her, like, yeah, definitely filling out and adding context, and that would be pretty cool. It'd also give, like, that epic kind of, like, Lord of the Rings feeling when Frodo is finishing the the red book and handing it to Sam to write the next chapter, like the idea that this is living, this is actually not made up, but it's real history. I I, I like everything about that, Charlotte. Got to got to make it happen. Double D's. Yeah. <laughs> Reshoots. You still got you got five weeks. You got five you got weeks. Time, yeah. Get on it. Jesse K, uh, why would the Iron Bank loan any Westerosi any money at this point? It seems like they should all be broke or nearly broke by now. Their fleets and cities keep getting destroyed. No one has any idea who's going to sit on an Iron Throne. The Iron Bank is set up to be this, well, ironclad institution, but it doesn't make much sense for them to loan to Stannis, and it doesn't make much sense for them to loan to Cersei. Where do they get all their cash if they're making these risky loans? Cersei's entire grip on power at this point is dependent on this one plot element. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong with that last statement. Um, I mean, the Lannisters have a reputation. They always pay their debts, Mm -hmm. right? This isn't just something they say. It's something that has happened. And we saw Cersei repay the debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, She did it with the gold that they took from uh, Lady Lena. So she's kept her word. Many many times the Lannisters have kept their word with the Iron Bank, and I think that's why they're still leaning into that relationship. Yeah, and like in real life... If you look at the stock market, you look at money indexes, uh, the biggest returns are not in very safe, stable, uh, uh, developed uh, uh, countries that have very well-established transitions of power. They're all in developing nations where there is conflict and strife because that's where the biggest risk is. That's where the biggest opportunity. Uh, So it makes sense for the Iron Bank to continually – because continually bank all these squabbles that go on Westeros because – the key thing about the Iron Bank is uh, whoever wins, they can get their money from them because if they don't pay up, they just finance another person to overthrow them. At the end of the day, they're going to get to the bottom and someone will be king and they will owe them a lot of money and then they will make a huge, huge return on that investment. That's always worked that now. You know, the long night kind of like uh, that's like. That's like the Great Depression. Like that's the that's the part where the markets don't just get eight. I, I think that this is an unprecedented thing. Like they've been yeah. doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years, and there's never been this like Armageddon type thing that might wipe them out. But yeah, I think that's why they do it. It's and I just more they don't risk, have more reward. They don't have a relationship with Danny. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they could do things along the sidelines to support her, but I feel like. Also, the reason they paid Cersei back is because she stole all – and the reason they loaned Cersei more money is because she stole all of the Tyrell gold and paid off all the Crown's debts. Right. So she's like got A1 sterling credit at this point. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. Iron Bank doesn't know there's a bunch of horrifying ice zombies that's going to fucking flip the table of Westeros over. So. Do they know about the dragons? I think so, yeah. Okay. Definitely. I, I thought that was part of Cersei's discussion with him. Right. Which you would think dragons would factor in. Maybe mm-hmm. that – you know, bumps your credit score up a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, if the the one thing that would really fuck the Iron Bank is if someone throws over Cersei that is not beholden to them at all. Right, and that can't be overthrown easily, right? right? Like, right. you talk about that iron grip that she'd have with dragons at her yeah. behest. 
what's the Iron Bank going to do to get their money out of a dead Cersei? Right. But again, the Iron Bank being this ancient institution, like absent ice zombie Armageddon's, they can just yeah, yeah. play the long game. For sure. And like, okay, 50 years from now, when your grandson's on the throne and has shit away all your fortune, and he's got like moths coming out of his pockets, like some kind of old cartoon, he's going to come and we're going to fuck him. We're going to fuck him, but good on the interest rates because he's going to be desperate. So they're playing the very long game. Yeah. And like you said, this is a big bet for them, but it's also not their only bet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they've got their hands in many things. Uh, this is just one of them and it has a potential to pay off huge, but it won't bankrupt them if they, it doesn't. Right. So, you know, this, this is an opportunity for them. And if this yeah. opportunity doesn't pan out, they'll find opportunities elsewhere in Danny's new organization that yeah. she sets up. And, and real life institutions over leverage themselves and fail all the time. That's like, true. They you could might be making a mistake <laughs> in our, in our living memory, a, f- a yeah. international financial crisis where that just happens. So it could be that iron bank is just, uh, over leveraged and going to fuck himself. Too, too big to fail, though. When Danny gets power, uh, right. she'll have to bail out the Iron Bank. Right. Hopefully, the dragons will shit gold. But um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let Letter Buck twenty two thousand six says, "What do you think would be the most heartbreaking character in Game of Thrones to have to kill another character who has turned into a white? Uh, For example, character X has turned into white character Y has to kill white character X who is now trying to kill them. What's the most heartbreaking combination?" I feel like Sam is like number one on my list. If he turns into a white, really, John has to kill him. Ooh, I'd feel real bad about that. I think John Arya. Either way, it's pretty mm-hmm. bad. Um, yeah, that's that's super bad. Yeah, um, Hodor. I, I've heard a lot of people yeah, saying like like seeing Hodor coming back on the on the battlefield would be pretty rough, but only for a very small amount of people. Yeah, Bran obviously. Bran would be rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, like any of the Stark kids, I think. Yeah, they grew um, up with them. Yeah, but like Brienne is just like, well, it's just a, a, yeah. a, a unusually portly zo- uh, and and huge zombie coming at me. Right? Is this the giants they talk about? They're not so exactly. big. <laughs> right. Right. Um. All right. James H. As weird as it would feel to see Arya get in a romantic relationship with anyone, I feel like it'd be a nice narrative moment if the Stark Baratheon marriage Bobby B proposed with Ned. Uh, between Sans and Joffrey in season one is eventually fulfilled by Arya and Gendry. You have a daughter, I have a son, we'll join our houses. Still works. Hmm. I Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, another kind of like nod to season one. If they did get together, it would be... Now, I can't see a way that that would actually unite the realm and some sort of peace no unless like sansa john danny uh, they're all dead they're all dead (laughs) and you're looking for like the lady of the north and some kind of son of the south to kind of come together but but it is it is a nice little uh and it's a nice little narrative uh, rhyme i Mm -hmm. like it uh andrew s you guys mentioned on that the hound was on Arya's hit list but when she played the game of lies she kept telling jack and that she hated clegane and he kept on hitting her saying that it was a lie yeah Two separate things. Arya can still be have the hound on her list and be in denial about her hatred of him. Mm-hmm. Like that would actually be more tragic. The fact that she kills him and she doesn't even have like that same grudge anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I think they could use that to show us like Arya's mental state. Like Arya forgiving and moving past and realizing that Sandor is damaged in the exact same way that she's damaged. And look at how that's changed her. Like that would be a hopeful place if she survives to end with her character because. That implies that she can regain her humanity. Does it invalidate the whole list? If she doesn't check every single name off this list, do you think 
she if you, she has to check any of them. If off. you die before you finish your bucket list, is it the bucket list invalid? But she's not dead. No, but I'm saying like is like the concept of a list invalidated if you don't get the all the things, or if you change your mind about your priorities or something. Uh, I don't know. Narratively, maybe. Yeah. But my life is, you know, maybe in retrospect, a narrative, but not. What's it, the other thing is interesting is that like. Um, Yorin gave her the concept of this name that you say like a prayer for your bedtimes that she yeah. kind of adopted as like you know that's a sick that's a sick psychopath thing that she learned from that particular mentor um and it's kind of um that's kind of Arya's religion you know especially mm-hmm. with the faceless men and all that kind of stuff um I think it would be interesting for her to find a new faith you know there's just several characters examples of characters in the books like Tyrion um is you know a person that has no faith but then he finds faith in danny mm-hmm. uh sandor is a person that doesn't have any faith but then he finds faith in the lord of the not the lord of the light the the the, the simple faith of the people that are worshiping the seven yeah. there's lots of those instances of redemption um of not maybe like purely religious faith but like just faith in themselves faith in humanity and i think that would be a nice little sign that she's going to be okay um Jeremy N., we've been trained throughout the course of the show to care about the logistics of provisioning armies, but perhaps we shouldn't be so worried this time. If Danny's armies lose, everyone dies anyway, but if they win and defeat the others, won't they break the magic causing the winter and bring an early spring, allowing them to start planting much sooner than expected? Perhaps, yeah. Um, that's one possibility, the fallout of Killing the Night King. But I don't know. The show is clearly at least mildly concerned with it. So yeah. Maybe it will be an issue. Um, I don't think that logistics have been a really important part of this show for several seasons. Uh-huh. Um, and well, also, why bring it up? Like, if it's not yeah. a concern, is it just to appease some faction of the audience that is concerned about this sort of thing? I or? think it's just letting Arya, or not Arya, Sansa play the political game, which is why it feels a little kind of like weak and out of place. Cause it, so she's less concerned about how we're going to feed these new armies and more concerned about like getting the jab in. Like, yeah, she's trying to get hand in this really, relationship. You should have told me about this and this exactly. is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like, uh, I didn't, didn't, I guess I'll set out a plate, but I really only made enough roast beef for the family. Kind of pretty petty and shitty. No, it's I, super yeah. passive aggressive, but that's yeah. kind of politics, right? Like getting yeah. like individual emotional and position and leverage advantages over people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I don't know. You also got like Danny's army is like superhumanly like I feel like the 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 I feel like the unsullied would fight for like two weeks without losing any of their effectiveness and they just keel over dead from starvation. You yeah. know, like yeah. like they can like you've got an army that can kind of like they cut their nipples off and eat them. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I mean, that would be fucking pretty grim. But like if you're talking about this, like cannibalism is kind of a thing in the winter in the north like i don't know how brutal they're mm-hmm. going to get but like if you're fighting for your for the you not be extinct like it's probably not too much to ask to butcher every fourth man to keep fighting like i mean if they're just going to become whites anyway if nothing else bran has two perfectly succulent legs that Jesus he's not Christ. even losing or he's not even using jamie's got another hand let's take he's got that. another hand yeah. like he can't so his left one what's he going to do with that yeah, anyway he's no good with a sword uh, yeah, you only need Tyrion's head. This rest of his body's Fair, not that great yeah. in a fight. His cock, maybe. His cock, so keep, keep that yeah, around. Stitch his cock to his neck, and <laughs> then, then, then you. So there's there's ways to economize this <laughs> and not be complete inhuman brutes about it. Fair. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, Edward R. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on Cersei paying Bronn to go away. My guess is that she pays him to leave to either A, kill her brothers, which would be a bonus to her underlying the real reason to do it, which is B, get Bronn away from her so she can't, uh, he can't betray her. Because there's no way Bronn kills either Jaime or Tyrion, right? I'm with you on that last thing. Uh, is Cersei self-aware enough, or not self-aware, but is Cersei aware enough of the relationship between Jaime and Bronn to really think it's a problem? Yeah, no, I think she's... You think so? Yeah, like it's like the Bronn's always been their man, and uh, I could see her being distrustful of him. Hmm. Here's the thing, though. The episode makes a big point about being Bronn's the only living man who's ever shot down a dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're sending this man away. Yeah. With a crossbow. What could this man do with an obsidian tipped crossbow? And, what and, couldn't a, and, he and, do? and a zombie dragon. Yeah. Like, doesn't that feel like you, we talk about the rhyming narrative structure and it's hard not to think about it because I don't know. Did you see the making of behind the thing? Because George Lucas visited the set for this episode. Uh, I saw a screenshot of, or a picture of that. I and he was around, I guess, a big joke about, I mean, the joke on set for me would be like, what are you doing? You're really terrible at this particular part. Like, what are you critiquing performances, George? Get the fuck out of here. You want to yeah. polish our dialogue up? Is that what right. you want to do? Um, but like, yeah, I saw a lot of sand memes and snow comparisons. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. But George is always he's big, big about like those kind of rhyming poetic structures and and having Bronn take almost take down a dragon and then actually take down one. I think would be a cool progression for mm-hmm. him. Because um, otherwise, yeah, like I, she's just sending him packing. Like she's paying him in advance with a wagon full of gold. We'll never see Bran or we'll never see Bronn in King's Landing again. And, and hoping that he he takes this mission up mm-hmm. and if not oh well but at least he's gone right yeah that's actually fairly smart for for cersei yeah i wonder if Ky- it's actually kyburn's plan <laughs> like if kyburn is like uh i got a pretty cushy job here i gotta keep this lady in power mm-hmm. he's like the real power behind the throne could be um anyway oh also edward wanted to know our percentage of uh likelihood that cersei now has a uti after messing around with Euron. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred and ten percent. Yeah, mage dude. What are the odds that Cersei will go full Mad Queen and blow up King's Landing if she loses out on the war? It's not zero. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, I could see Cersei doing that. I, what means does she have of doing that? That's what I'm thinking. Like unless the wildfire's the, gone. Yeah, unless they've been restocking. I bet they have more. I bet I don't think she used the entire supply to blow up the Sept. But they have used a lot of it. I mean, they used yeah the battle the battle of the Blackwater. Yeah, and, and then. Cersei blown up the sept. I, I, we don't know. We don't yeah. know if she has any more. Also, um, who would be helping her? Because like before, is the pyromancer would would but, but would Kyburn blow up the whole city as a kind of a suicide thing? I don't. I don't know. I could see Kyburn being a like a queen slayer type because he seems like he's entirely rational. Like he's he's uh, he likes dabbling in his dark arts, but he's not mm. insane. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, he's fucked up in some ways, but insane. He might be sociopathic, not. but not yeah. psychopathic. I don't think. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I think Cersei could certainly try it if she has the means. She would. It, it's not out of her character. Not at all. It's actually totally in her character. It's telling that the old, that we're just arguing the logistics of how she would actually <laughs> right. do it. Yeah. She, oh, she's definitely going to do this. How, but how? How many barrels per hour can the mountain carry? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's out of cousins. To well, no, the cousin. The last time the cousin was trying to not set it off so never mind yeah how many orphans how many orphans carrying a torch would would uh, she need 
Uh, Matthew B. I found it interesting that Cersei is setting a stage for poetic justice by asking Bronn to kill Tyrion and Jaime with the same crossbow that killed her father. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's possible the same kind of ironic full circle will occur in the North when it comes to Jon? Back when Robb Stark led the Northern Army, he had all the momentum on his side and ultimately made the poor tactical decision of marrying Talisa against the advice of his family, following his passion and heart rather than his brain. John claims to be putting the North first, but could he follow in the footsteps of his adopted older brother by having love be the thing that leads him to being blindsided by his allies? They're certainly flirting with that. I mean, Sansa basically asked that question this episode. I mean, the thing is, is like, how pissed would the Northerners be if Talisa had the world's largest army and two full-grown dragons? Mm -hmm. It's more of like... You fucked us over by pissing off the phrase. You weakened our position just for the sake of your cock. Whereas yeah. John, well, well, I think there's a built-in assumption when you're when you're uh, taking guesses on this topic that the North would not go along with it, right? That the North would not see Danny as their queen, and that they would see this as a further betrayal. Yeah, and so that would divide the forces, and you would lose the war. But it's, I think that's the assumption that's sort of built in. But but like like Rob did something where he took like like he like he not only didn't bring anything to the table, he took things off the table. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. Whereas John's like not really taking anything off the table except for the north. But he might take pride. the north. Well, yeah. but he might take the north's forces. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their support. Yeah, yeah. Which might be enough to turn that battle. I, I was just trying to do analog it, or to uh, to try to make a one to one analogy between him and Rob, but. Um, I don't know. I I don't think there's enough time, honestly, to mm. do that much complicated fucking around um because that would take us an episode or two to sell i would think and then what the north is just going to kill john like like betray and kill john uh yeah i, I don't see it happening but i do think the crux of these next few episodes is going to be yeah. what the, that resolution you know just the conflict in the north who they're going to follow who's going to be the king or the queen yeah all that's going to be up in the air and i think you know that's probably not going to be a part of it there's probably not going to be this real question of like oh where where did John's loyalties lie uh, as far as like, oh, is he doing this for love or for the, the realm? I think he's much more a realm guy. It's pretty obvious. Uh, Michelle D. Is anyone else bothered that there's no mention of Littlefinger's execution by any of the main characters? <laughs> Even one line could have been enough between John and Sansa or Tyrion or Varys. Surely yeah. someone would have reacted. Um, I, yeah, I, honestly, I could have used a lot more. I could have used that scene between Tyrion and Varys over the, oh, it's so cold, my balls are freezing, you know. Is that uh, almost an indication that Littlefinger's face is coming back? Why? Th- that they're ignoring it so hard? I like, would, it seems such an obvious thing that needs to happen. This show seems like it, it likes to lampshade and, and uh, foreshadow more than it likes to conceal. But okay. uh, possibly, I mean, that's one. But I, I yeah, I think... I think I I need I would like to have seen Varys and Tyrion's reaction. Yeah. Cuz that's kind of like you know that that would be kind of their 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 way to discuss it, but I don't know. There's, it's also like wh- would you have to like you know uh cuz they asked me if there's been an, a, another example of this like I thought Barristan Selmy's death was cool, but like mm-hmm. it really made zero impact on the story or the characters. Yeah um that's the one fighting in a hole right that's the one that makes me think the most it would been it'd be cool to have like jamie eulogize him as his mentor and though his probably the greatest swordsman he ever saw Mm -hmm. but we didn't get that and i don't know like i said it'd been nice it'd been nice to steal five seconds of dragon flying time to do that yeah Uh, or or steal steal some some ball jokes away but what are you Uh gonna do uh thomas f i thought this episode was mostly satisfying but i'm really having trouble with something i feel is problematic as a plot device which is bran being an omniscient being 
The most specific example of this uh, relative to this episode would be the Lannister army. Bran himself is the one proclaiming we don't have time for this with the imminent danger of the army of the dead. How would he also not convey to John, Danny, and company that there's no mobilization of Lannister forces coming north? Wouldn't this be key information for the upcoming battle? This is the problem with omniscient beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that they they have a plan, right? Like, oh, it's it's part of the plan, and then it works yes. in mysterious ways, right? Like, Bran works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. He will tell you when you need to know. It's apparently not urgent because Bran hasn't brought it up yet. Right. Is how I'm looking at it. Or Bran knows that no one of importance really believes the Lannisters are coming, so it's like... Uh-huh. You know, like if if he imagine if he wheels in at sixty miles an hour to Sansa's reception hall, skids to a halt in front of her, and breathlessly says, "Sansa, the Lannister army's not coming." She would be like, "I don't need the Weirwood Network to tell me that, Bran." Yeah. So, yeah, I mean that's the best argument against, and also, I I think. They've, they're very clear about the way Brand's omniscient works is he has it's like a TV that he has to tune into a channel. Yeah, like they he, are clear about that. Yeah, like he knew some things about John, but he didn't know other things about the th- the like like the the Septon's um, journal. That yeah, was he kept. could have seen that Septon writing in the journal. Right. If, and and if as soon as truly omniscient. as soon as Sam s- suggested it, then we had the flashback indicating that Sam like that then Brand could access all that information. But like, yeah. it, it's kind of like uh, you know you have a device in your pocket. Everyone that's listening to this podcast right now that has the sum total of the world's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Do you know everything right. in that? So, like, I feel like the Weirwood Net is that. Like, it's it's a it's a it's an infinite. It's like the Hitchhiker's Guide. It's like the Internet, but you have to know where and when to look, and it has to occur to you to think to look before you can know that thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jeff R. Can Bran see all the way in Essos? In the books, he sort of has a limitation of only seeing what a Weirwood can see, but there's talk of him one day learning how to see beyond that. Hmm. Clearly, since he saw inside the Tower of Joy, he doesn't have that limitation now. I'm guessing Showbrand can see anything. I just had this thought of him needing to prove to Danny that he has the power to corroborate John's parentage and then not being able to see what she did over the sea in Essos since there's no weirwood trees and then her not <laughs> wanting to believe him. You've already gone on record of saying you'd think that'd be annoying as fuck. Yeah. I, also, I don't like that just doesn't seem like a necessary complication to introduce. Yeah. Just like have it, have him actually prove it, you yeah. know? I don't, I don't know. Plus, I think the weirwood, like the weirwoods, are like training wheels for green seers. Like they're the easiest ways to focus your power, but you don't. Okay. Like, yeah. like you don't need them once you're sufficiently powerful enough. Now, as a consequence of them, kind of, I think being shaky in the transition between the three eyed raven to Bran and what all that meant. Like we still, I, I, I mean, I would honestly be open to the fact that Bran is still kind of like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back powerful jedi compared to like your average person but like not at the level of like darth vader the emperor yet mm-hmm. or i could believe that he's essentially three-eyed raven powerful I, I i honestly don't know and the show could go either way and like i, I think there's nothing that we can contradict either take at this point sean d although there hasn't been much uh there hasn't seemed to be much fruit from the Greyjoy storyline of late there's two thoughts i had First, I thought it's pretty funny that Yara mentioned the Iron Islands like they could function something like Australia from the game of Risk through their isolated nature yeah. and White Walkers 
water thing. Yeah, you just, you just sit on the Iron Islands. You Only get your, one inroad. You, you yeah. take your two armies per turn, and you dare people to step into Indo. And, and you eventually lose. The Irononesia. <laughs> you, you, wait, you wait for your moment. You desperately try to expand into Asia. You get yeah. crushed by the person who holds North America. Yeah. Uh, between them and Europe, and you eventually lose. That's how that goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> second, out of all the major families shown in Game of Thrones, the Greyjoys still have amongst the best, best alive-to-dead ratios. Theon, Yara, and Euron are all still kicking, so I'd imagine we'd still hear from them. I can't imagine Yara's going to just be on the sideline. They have her personally connected to a bunch of other players. I, I think you're wrong. Yeah, I think she's out. Um, although I could see like her Han soloing like some fleet action at the end. That would kind of I I I'd, I'd buy that. Like she went back to Dyer Island, she got she she got her house in order, and then she comes sailing with it. I don't know that that'd be a way to involve her. I mean, how many how many boats does she have at this point? Although they can build a thousand boats in like a week. So That's right. Who cares? <laughs> they have a three D boat printing factory <laughs> apparently that runs on uh, salt and stone. I'm just thinking, like, what forces <laughs> does she have to mount again? Because like everybody is following Euron at this point, right? right? And he just so she goes back to the Iron Island. She yeah. has no army. She has no boats. What yeah. good is she going to do in Westeros against the Night it's, King? Literally, she's just the Australia on the risk board. Yeah, That's the I, only... I think she's just going to turtle up and yeah. In, the Australia of I, I, again, Westeros. I wouldn't surprise this. It wouldn't surprise me to see her in like the last episode as some kind of like you know because they're, they're going to be like some if Theon kind lives, of some kind of homecoming. I yeah, could or see a funeral like, for him. Like there's yeah. the, the, if 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 Theon lives or dies, I could see because that's really the only person that gives a shit about him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, John forgave him, but like clearly he's not his favorite no. favorite person in the world. So. So that's that's I think otherwise you already got way too many characters that you're going to have to winnow anyway. And that's all the feedback we have for this week. If you would like to send us more, if you'd like to run the Game of Thrones gauntlet, you can do so by sending a message through the SMTP protocol to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. B-R-A-N protocol. We... (laughs) The, the weirwood.net yeah uh we also have our forums if you want to talk to your fellow fans there's several rollicking threads going on right now at forums.baldmove.com uh that's not it for our coverage of game of thrones this week nay uh, verily we have yet another podcast coming out this friday where we talk about all the kind of uh, stuff we haven't talked about i know there's one particular topic that's uh, somewhat prophetic in nature has to do with the final disposition of people's lives that uh, people are, are really wanting to talk about. Uh, we've talked about it many, many times in the previous, but you know, it's first, first time for everyone to listen to the podcast. We'll be talking about that thing that I've been putting off for a week or two to talk about in the spoiler edition. Plus whatever you find folks want to talk about. Um, that's it for today until Friday. I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.